Hi there, this is Inyash with two quick notes before we begin. The first is an apology. Very soon after we set up, my microphone got knocked out and we didn't notice. I was still picked up on a nearby microphone, and we boosted my voice on that everywhere we could. However, for the entire podcast, I sound distant and echoey, and it's kind of hard to hear me. I apologize about that, and we'll be better about checking our mics in the future. The second thing is that before we started recording, those of us on this episode just kind of bullshitted for 10 minutes. It's not really relevant to the podcast, but for any of our Patreon subscribers, we've thrown up about 10 minutes of our miscellaneous chatter and humor. Just as a little extra behind the scenes for anyone who wants it. Thanks, and now on to the episode. Welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber, and we have two guests this episode. Uh, hi, I'm Sean. Hi, I'm Matthew. Returning from punching Nazis. Yes. There is a podcast project that has recently come out to make all the sequences available in audio format as a podcast. Uh, we've talked about the sequences a lot. Uh, they were the original posts written by Eliezer at lessrom.com. Actually started out at overcomingbias.com, which kind of kickstarted the whole rationality subculture back in 2007, I think. Anyways, they're a starting point. Uh, they really explained the rationality much better than I could. And I said in, I think, our very first episode that if you really want this rationality thing explained, the, your very best resource by far is just to go and read those sequences of posts. Uh, Eliezer went ahead and compiled them into a book because a lot of people were like, hey... We hate surfing posts on the internet. Is there, like, a book that we can have? And no, you can't have a bound book because that is really, really big and you'd have to pay an obscene amount of money to get something that big bound in a single tome. But it is available as an ebook. And now there is a, two guys from Europe who are recording every single chapter. Each chapter is one post. It is between 5 and 15 episodes per chapter and putting them out as a podcast. So two, two things. One, the book wasn't compiled by Eliezer, it was compiled by somebody else, I think, with, with, uh, per, like, with permissions and, uh, thumbs up or whatever. Mm. But, um, there is a podcast out there that I think you have to pay for. I bought a couple of the sub, sub, sub sequences. Mm -hmm. I bought A Human's Guide to Words and Reductionism. Mm -hmm. Um, they appear to now be defunct. Uh, the Castify ones. Yeah. Yeah, I, I looked for them, like, I don't know, six months ago and couldn't find them again. So, yeah. so someone's doing them for free, it sounds like. Yes. Cool. I don't know, you could make a podcast mandatory pain. Uh, well, I mean, you can, it's not a podcast, it's audio files, and to download them, you pay money. So, uh, how would, um, an audiobook version of the sequences work, since, uh, all the posts I've read have, like, 19 links to other sequences? Uh, I'm assuming you just don't get the links. And Rationality from AI to Zombies isn't a bit more order than the sequences on lesswrong.com, so there's less of a need to, like, link to previous things. It's, I think the links are still there in the book if you buy it. But it's much more in order. So, a little more accessible. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And what's the name of the their podcast? I believe it's Rationality AI to Zombies, the podcast. Hey, there it is. Yeah. Rationality from AI to Zombies, the podcast. Subscribe. Are you shitting me? Sorry. <laughs> Done. Uh, the Subscribe. The reason I bring that up is because at our last at our last less wrong meetup, which we have in Denver once a month, I got to talking with Matthew about the torture versus dust specs post, and we'd been kind of drinking, and we were like, "Hey, why weren't we recording this? This was awesome. We should yep. probably put it up on a, on for the podcast." And so now we're doing that. All right, so Matt, do you want to do you want to lay out the dust spec uh, versus torture thought experiment as best you can? Uh, so Yudkowsky. Um I'm not sure how, but he did come to the conclusion that the least bad, bad thing that can happen, something with a negative utility, but the smallest possible negative utility, 
that's measurable would be having a dust speck end up in your eye. Part of the hypothesis is um, that's all that happens. There are no side effects. It's not that a dust speck hits you in the eye while you're flying a plane and then you crash the plane. Ignore that. It's just purely dust speck and that's it. And if you have like calluses on your eye or something and getting a dust speck in your eye doesn't hurt you, then um, substitute something that actually does hurt a bit, like stubbing your toe or getting a paper cut or something. Right, so, um, those, so, so those, those just, strike me as so orders are, of magnitude higher it, than dust bag. Certainly magnitudes. It's, 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 it's kind of this abstract idea of like a really minor inconvenience, like the low, the most minor inconvenience that you'll well, acknowledge I mean, as a the thing. The least bad, minor, bad thing. But it'll go away in like three seconds, right? Yes, a very minor pain. I, I, I don't think it can be just inconvenience. It has to be some measure of pain. Okay. I thought it was just some measure uh, of negative eutalons. We should have been right. more articulate okay, on this. Okay, eutalons. So, so I, I should probably mention that I haven't read almost any of the less wrong stuff. I've, You're I've, fine. Eutalons, I don't... Is that a unit of measurement of utility? Or? Yes, yeah. Okay. Positive and negative. All right, so, so I get kind of the idea. It's just like a term for measuring utility. Positive yes. or negative is basically what you were saying? Yeah. If Depending on how into consequentialism and utilitarianism you want to get, you can start quantifying it with units called utils or utilons. But I mean, for the most part, you're talking about happiness and suffering or pleasure and pain or something like that, right? Sure. So, And I, I assume there has to be some measure of pain involved because that's what negative utility is, right? Or like unpleasantness. I mean, it can be pain if your definition of pain is broad enough to include things that aren't literally pain. Do wet yeah. socks hurt? So an uncomfortable thought. Right. So, so like, what, or, or, or like an uncomfortable thought or like a small emotional... Trauma or like something whose uh, net value is negative. Word, the but. thing is, I hate wet socks a lot. Same. So that, that's why I wanted to, I wanted to pick out I wanted to pick out an example that was obviously not painful, but obviously negative utility. Okay. Because I'd rather get a hundred aspects to the face than get my socks wet. So. So uh, if the least bad bad thing is having a dust speck float into your eye and give you the tiniest bit of measurable minor inconvenience, then it would be better for one person to be tortured for 50 years and three to the third to the third to the third or a googleplex or whatever conveniently large number fits not have dust specs flying to their eye let's um really quickly unpack the number uh, i think the actual number doesn't matter that much but the point is the number is so large that if you were to take the uh number of all the atoms in the universe that we can measure took that to the power of itself, that number still wouldn't even approach how many people we're talking about at this point. It is an unimaginably large number. So nearly infinite. Nearly infinite. The only reason I don't use infinite is because infinite is, seems like such a vacuous concept that to me it almost feels like nothing. Whereas when I think of the number of atoms that exist and then multiply that by itself, that's an actual like large number that infinite... I know technically infinity is more, but infinity doesn't feel like more infinity sounds like you know you're stupid infinity plus one douglas adams has a good thing about infinity mm-hmm. in hitchhiker's guide where uh arthur is that the main character dude i don't know whoever he is um yeah it's arthur dent he's in space and he's in front of a very large object and he looks to his left and he sees the object go on for infinity oh wait no it isn't infinity because he can see it curve ever so slightly mm. which has a more imposing effect than if it didn't curve because humans Cause, can't cause, handle infinity. Right, so, so so he can actually see it. Like, he can actually understand, like, this thing is really, really big, whereas infinite would be incomprehensible, basically. Uh, that many people getting getting a little bit of negative utility. If the measurement of for a dust spec is 0.00000001, and you multiply that by a impressively huge number, 
then the amount of Eudolons, whatever 50 years of torture happens to be, would be less than that number caused by dust specks. I don't think we laid out that the that is being weighed against 50 years of torture for one individual until just now. So like that's that's the important crux of the of the position that it's this suspect this suspect into basically infinite number of eyeballs versus one person being tortured tortured for 50 years. And the idea is that well, because you're taking an infinitesimal thing times the opposite of an infinitesimal thing and you then you just have one, you know, being suffering as much as possible for 5 decades the dust specks add up to more negative utilons than one person being tortured. And on the surface, that does sound kind of ridiculous, as I'm sure most people are now thinking, because we have such an aversion to thinking of someone being tortured even for five minutes. But, as you pointed out, this started as something that seems entirely reasonable and then is taken to an extreme, yes? Yes. Would you like to recapitulate that argument? Because I thought that was fascinating the way you laid it out. Yeah. Should we all kind of say like where we're where we are on that whole thing? Yeah, sure. Where are you on that whole thing? Totes uh, against. <laughs> yeah, to- like like not, yeah. Not only is it yeah, everyone should get a speck of dust in their eye. I think it's a slam dunk. And like, why would you even like? Sure, we we should think of everything. But in in the scenario in which every and and this inf- like almost unfathomably large number of people get a speck of dust in their eye, nobody's tortured. It's just a bunch of people who get this momentary like speck of dust in their eye for like three seconds and then. Or, or for one second or split second or whatever it is. And then like five seconds later, the whole, all those people are fine and nobody gets tortured. That is, that seems like a very obvious, that's better than someone getting tortured for 50 years. And Yudkowsky's point is that feels obvious because our stupid ape brain has a problem with uh, scale. I we mean, also, I mean, so the problem with scale works to make this just a problem that we should know that we can't intuitively address, right? It can't be, well, intuitively, I would think that torture is the worst, so I'm going to just go with that. The correct answer isn't to go for the other solution because you know that your intuitive answer is wrong. You should look at the other answer and say, well, I can't really intuit that answer either, so I don't feel like my intuition is a good guide to this problem. When I first That doesn't mean that you can't solve it, but that doesn't mean that I think you can't intuitively solve it. When I first read the post, uh, I was very much against the conclusion as well, and my reasoning was that... I would volunteer to take a duck speck in the eye if it meant that uh, someone wouldn't get tortured for 50 years. And I imagine that every person who is worth having around on the planet with me, or even in the same universe as me, uh, would also make that trade. It doesn't matter how many of them there are. If everyone would be willing to make that trade, then obviously it would be better to have that happen than to have the 50 years of torture. First of all, I don't think Yudkowsky picks a side. I think he just says the answer is obvious. He absolutely does. He does. Yes. In the post, he only says the answer is obvious, but he does. Right. In a comment, right. in a comment he there's says a discussion, yeah. down the line, yeah. A, a thing. But at yeah. the beginning, he's, to make it kind of thought-provoking post thing, he just lays out the, the conundrum and then said the answer is obvious, right? Yeah. And uh, I thought that was a fun way to get the discussion going, and it has some of the most comments on, on a lot of oh, these. Yes. So so the, the way this sort of thing starts out, and I don't remember if this was the exact... Uh, I'm pretty sure this was not the exact example used in the post, but it would be something along the lines of, is it better for one person to have both their legs broken or for 10 people? Okay, so this is like this is like a, a reduction of that, that big all-encompassing thing and, you know, with near infinite, infinite people and one person being tortured. It's just condensing it down to like a really small example. Yeah, a good way to break it down. Um, so one I'm... person having both their legs broken, sorry, and then... Or 10 people uh, having one leg broken. Right, so you're supposed to say the one person having both their legs broken because that's two legs versus ten legs, right? Okay. Okay, and if you keep drawing that out, is it better for one person to have every bone in their body broken or for everyone on the planet to have their wrist shattered? 
Well, okay, right. <laughs> so, so obviously you're supposed to choose the former. Mm-hmm. And would you though? Yeah, I mean, at that point, if if it's if every it's it's everyone in the world that's six billion people currently, or more I than think that, it's like seven billion now. It's seven billion, Is it right? 6 billion? We're closing it on seven. Closing it on seven. Okay, we're closing it. So seven billion people get their wrists broken, mm-hmm. versus one person having every bone in their broke every bone in their body broken. Yes, including those really tiny ones inside your inner ear. Right. So that would cause that would cause a lot of problems, like for the world at large, if that were to happen. Uh, let's assume no knock-on effects. That's what I was going to say. Is that, like imagine that suddenly everyone, everyone on their Earth other is other hand for whatever is really important. Okay, so there's nothing. So not nothing. We're still going to be able to go to work. So it's better to break it down, starting out further than breaking one leg versus two legs. Mm-hmm. Where you say should one person break one leg, or should a hundred people stub their pinky toe mm. in a minor enough way that they don't break the bone? They kick the table and they go ow, and then uh. And they forget about it, it ten seconds later, for like ten seconds or ten minutes, even. Well, and in that case, I think it would, I would rather stub go the, with toe. the toe. Yeah, stub the toe, absolutely. Right, because I think the one leg is more than the stubbing the toe. Right, and as you expand that to okay, what if a million people stubbed their toe versus one person breaking their arm? Mm-hmm. Yep, stub toe. What if it's ten million people? Stub toe. Is there any level where you would not go with stub toe? <laughs> I mean, if it was the entire population of the Earth, and we had and we had colonized the solar system, well, so there right, was like a hundred billion people. I, I I I see where you're going with this, like this continuous extrapolation of the problem and expanding it. But mm-hmm. it's like when you get to a point where it's just it's it's a speck of dust in your eye for like two seconds, and you forget about it forever for everybody. Versus someone being tortured for fifty years. That's that like that to me is an insane comparison. Like it, it, it there's this underlying assumption that like all of suffering is on a like a single spectrum, right? So we take the furthest point over here and the furthest point over here, right? Mm-hmm. But it just seems like a really naive view of like utilitarian ethics in general to say that like, oh yeah, of course we should torture someone for fifty years because math. Like that just seems like a really Well that that is kind of that's the my point. biggest problem with it. It's just it's like but no, but no, like, you, you pick the dust specs because then nobody gets tortured for 50 years. That's insane. So to give the argument that convinces me to steel man it against the thing that I'm agreeing with, would I say I prefer to torture one person for 50 years or break both legs of a million people? Not torturously, just their legs suddenly break and uh, they get anesthetic, but their legs are broken. So that, that to me is how to make this problem interesting. I didn't find the dust specs original thought experiment too torturous to me. The pun, dust pun specs intended. is largely part of the problem. So that, that, that was it for me was that to me, it is, it's not, it's so small as to be, as to be equal to nothing. And so, especially if you forget about it three seconds right. later. So think of the next. No, I know that, that to me is that's, that's when it becomes interesting. So if the original proposition is too weak and easy to dismiss, you've got to scale up the, the suffering to something that's not point zero. Right, you know, zero, zero, zero. It was supposed to be something that is on the same continuum, just the smallest possible you can get on that continuum. So, but for me, the, the key thing is that you forget about it almost immediately with no like intervention to forget about it. And so, like if that's the case, it might as well have never happened. You know, like even a stubbed toe is kind of on the order where I'm. Sh- I, I probably stubbed my toes a hundred times in the last ten years, but I don't remember any single time. To me, the idea that it's easily forgettable and maybe the time frame has something to do there. Part of this kind of gets shaky. You scale it up to all right, fine. A broken bone versus torture, and like that, then you you kind of, at least if that's how high you have to go. For me, I I think you could draw it lower, but if you if you put it at almost literally nothing, that to me is exactly literally nothing. The dust right. back, right? So the the two main issues with the argument that I'm thinking three of us have is uh, 
one, dust spec is just negligible. Yeah, it, it's mean, supposed to be really close to zero, but to us, it feels intuitively as if it were zero. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I would pick dust specs over torching someone for one year or like six months or three months or one month or like way less time, like any amount of time. Five minutes. Five minutes. Yep. Nope. Dust Versus specs. every being in the or- in the universe getting a dust speck. Yep. Nope. Dust specks. Well, not just every being in the universe. Every a being for every atom in the universe, yep. and then every one of those atoms having an equal amount of pe- beings in them. And if you're not willing to go with dust speck, then go with you know paper cut. Make the problem fun. Yeah. Right. I think- but I do have a problem with Yudkowsky's attachment to the dust specks. Well, he never what- suggests. Well, if you have a problem with dust specks, go to the next no, tiny thing. When? I mean, not in the post okay. itself, because he wrote the post and then he put it out there, but oh, later well. on in the comments, All he right. said, go ahead, go with stub toe if that's your lowest. Right. right. That's still painful. Uh, the the second problem we probably have intuitively, and I'd argue rationally, is whether or not something of a certain magnitude can equal any number of that thing. And his large argument is, his point, is that Eudelon's reduced to a metric and that's the metric. And it doesn't matter whether or not it happens an infinite amount of times. It's still a standard metric and they can be compared. So something a thousand times worse happening once versus something happening versus the other thing happening a thousand times are perfectly equivalent. That is the root of his argument, I believe. I don't know that I can get behind that one. And I can't. I, I really because I disagree with it, it, well. it. It just seems like the thing that's a thousand times worse than the really minor thing in some cases, at the very least, is so many orders of magnitude worse that, it, again, it just seems like a slam dunk where it's like, well, no. It's, it's literally three orders of magnitude worse if it's a thousand times worse. Oh, okay, okay, sure. Yeah, but I think sure. if you find something that's actually a thousand times worse, then you would agree that a thousand, one one thousandth of that is the same when multiplied over a thousand. Because when you think, when I think of like a paper cut versus what? breaking an arm, it, they don't seem like they are comparable, but... That's that's because like I'm not saying like a paper cut is one and breaking an arm is one million. It would be more like a paper cut is well, arm a one and ba- breaking an arm is like twenty seven quadrillion. And at that yeah. point, once I've gotten twenty seven quadrillion paper cuts, I may prefer to have a broken arm rather than twenty seven quadrillion paper cuts. Is there enough space on your body to have that many paper cuts? Because I we he's immortal it and it, 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 it takes ten years. seconds to heal. Yeah. Oh nice. So, so he's Wolverine. Okay. It's just that you're not using the right numbers. You're, you're comparing something that is not one one thousandth to the one thousand. And then you imagine actually, you know, like you said, actually doing the math to some extent, whether you do it on paper or do it in your head, just you know, trying to make it equivalent. Say, yeah, I can get a I can get a paper cut. I can get 100 paper cuts in my body every second for the next 20 years, or I can break my arm. Well, I'm going to break my arm in a heartbeat. That sounds awful, right? Mm-hmm. So then you, you scale it. So like that that does kind of drive that point home that there is a trade-off somewhere, right? Well, right. But so I mean, I'd also take... Yeah, are we, are we drawing arbitrary lines or not? Yeah, I think we and probably are, because none of us are... I mean, none of us have a patent paper, and I don't think anyone's going to do complicated mental math in our head, but... Okay. I might take the the pain, but not like the physical manifestations and, and consequences of being set on fire for three seconds rather than break my arm, right? Um, so, 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 so like, if you, I'm, I'm not sure, but those are the kinds of things that you can you can weigh as far as how bad they would be, and you can actually just you, you just pick things back and forth and say, well, we'll weigh these against each other, right? So, so you're talking about like when you, when you say breaking your arm, is it like you have to get medical care? Your arm is inoperable for a certain amount of time. All that stuff that comes with it breaking your arm, or you just feel the pain of it breaking your arm, and it doesn't have any lasting effects after that. Either one. I mean, I I was picturing actually breaking my arm doing eight weeks in the cast and that sort of thing. But hmm. like with the fire one, I just said, just imagine being in super pain for a second, right? Yeah. Three seconds of the Crucio curse from Harry Potter. 
you know, I, I would choose that over the paper cuts, you know, drawn. I'd choose that over 10 paper cuts a day for the next year, right? Like, just because mm-hmm. that would be super annoying and that'd be a constant drag. You know, I think I'd get over five seconds of, of the cruciitis, right? Maybe, depending on how bad it is. They didn't do a like, great like job get, of painting like, it rip, as rip the literal the off and just have that burst of pain just for three seconds kind of thing. Sure. Hmm. I just want to point out that I slowly pull off band-aids. I've heard, Wimp. That's, I've heard that slowing off, uh, slowly pulling off band-aids is actually the better way to do it. I'm sure it is. I go, I go, I go about medium. There, there was an actual pain study done. And I mean, pain is always kind of subjective. you got to ask people 1 to 10 and all that. But they found that, in general, yanking the band-aid off first is quite a bit worse than slowly pulling it off, even though the, the little light pain is stretched out. Are you time. saying because it causes some sort of trauma to your top yeah, layer no. of skin? Uh, no, well, maybe, I don't know, but it was just, it was more painful, uh, than having that small amount of pain stretched out, and the reason, they, the conjecture was, the reason that nurses and parents and stuff always tell you to yank it off fast, is because the person who's doing the yanking, uh, gets to feel pain as they're yanking as well. They either watch you squirm while they're slowly yanking it off and they feel really bad, or they yank it off once real quick, and you flinch, and they're like, okay, it's over, it's done. Interesting. So, it's the person who is yanking it off gets a benefit from yanking it off quickly because they don't feel as much pain during the process. There's a similar point to be made. Uh, there was a study done with um, getting patients to return for colonoscopies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you prolong the procedure at its least uncomfortable point, you got, I forget the numbers, but these are in uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, I think. Um, I heard this too. Yeah. So you get more people to come back if you prolong the procedure while it's at its least uncomfortable, like mm-hmm. while it's there, but like uh, not at the most painful part mm-hmm. because in that way they look so there's the other possibility that explains it instead of like the slow rip off versus the hard rip off if you do it a hard rip off and you look back and like ow that really hurt if you do it slowly it just sort of hurts and so when you look back you're like well yeah I mean it was a little uncomfortable even though it might have aggregated the more or the similar amount of pain mm-hmm. with the colonoscopy thing the idea is that you look back and you remember oh yeah it wasn't that bad despite it having the time was just uncomfortable as exactly opposed to it being equal amounts of uncomfortable and painful actually probably more if you just needlessly prolong the procedure right so it's oh. probably more uncomfortable over the stretch of the entire op- procedure yeah but you're just your memory your recollection of it is oh it wasn't so bad Good stuff. So, Inyash, you would defend the original proposition of Dustbecks versus torture. Yeah, I would I'm, defend I'm curious. that if we can put numbers on things, then we're putting fucking numbers on things, right? Are we or aren't we? Sure. And so is your guys' proposition that you can't put numbers on things? That's no, not my no, proposition. No, no. Um, what, 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 I would, what I would ask in response to that is, how is that meaningful to apply numbers to this like really weird scenario of like suspects versus torture like what is that going to accomplish like what is the actual so like, no one, like, like defending it and being like we can condense this down to math and come up with a like a, a, an answer in terms of the, like the utilitarian perspective no one is suggesting there will ever be a situation in which it's 50 years of torture for an individual oh. versus three to whatever number of suspects sure so it's, so the it's whole, a thought experiment that right. plays off the idea that you can condense util or you know utility into math and thus you must have the numbers correct basically is what yeah, saying. and whatever okay. conclusion comes from that should actually be applied to every decision or most well, there, decisions that but, have to do with. But aren't there some decisions where, like, the math kind of, it's like, okay, you can observe the math, but there's this. It's, maybe that's not the be all end all, right? The like, human in my, spark. In, no, in my opinion, the point is that uh, it is the be all end all, and this is pointing out that humans are very fallible. And very likely to, as soon as something goes against their intuition, be like, oh, fuck no, this is, we can't do numbers anymore. And it's trying to make you bite the bullet. For, so, for example, uh, the, okay. the where people will be asked, how much money are you willing to give to have one seagull scraped for, of oil after the big oil spill happened? 
and it was like ten dollars. How much money would you be willing to give to get ten seagulls scraped clean from oil and they can go about their happy seagull lives? And they're like twenty dollars, and uh, that's like. Why were you willing to give $10 per seagull when there was only one, but only $2 per seagull when there were 10 of them? Because you started with one question, and they're like, oh, for one seagull? Sure, I'd give 10. Yeah, you're you're, you're right. That's kind of inconsistent. Because the ape intuition sucks. Yes. Mm, People are really shitty at intuition, but at some point, there should be an actual number that given an undefined number of seagulls, you'd be willing to give this much money uh, per seagull to clean them, regardless of how many there are, right? Sure, or, or or maybe you set like a budget limit, and you're like, I'm only willing to spend a hundred dollars toward seagull welfare, yeah. you know, or, or well being. This is my seagull oil scrubbing budget. Yes. It's a hundred dollars right now. But if you're actually trying to put a number that it is worth putting per seagull, this is actually very important because we do have a number of dollars we're willing to pay per human life. Well, I was I was going to relate this to experiments that have been done with charities towards humans. Okay. Um, and so one of the keys to doing this is you ask different groups. So if you ask the same group, how much would you give to save this little girl, and how much would you give to save this little girl and her brother, the same people will will scale up. I don't know if they'll actually double, but they'll scale up in some meaningful way. But if, if you ask, double, if you ask different, if, well, if they don't double, they're being inconsistent, assuming mm-hmm. that their budgets aren't workable, right? Mm-hmm. But if you ask different groups and you show a picture of a little girl and say how much would you be willing to help this little girl out. Uh, they'll give some number, and I forget what it is, but we can look them up. If you show a picture of that little girl and her brother and say, how much, you, how much would you give to save the pair? If you ask that to a different group, it's typically less than, on average, people will give to save the girl. So if the one and if it's that girl and her family of eight, people will give way less than they will to that one. And so, this is sort of a different problem than the dustbacks thing, but this idea of scope neglect that we suck follows from the same principle that our brains can't em- multiply emotions. I mean, and that sort of makes sense. A, on the fact that we just didn't have an intestinal environment that would sort of program that. But if we, A, if we, or B, if we could, we would just shut down every time a disaster happened. You know, if we could actually understand how much it would suck for 200,000 people to die in a disaster, we would, all of us would just kill ourselves, right? Like, it would be bad enough for that, to us, for us to be able to emotionally understand that for 10 people. Which is why I don't want to be a super happy. Right. Wait, uh, why is it that you don't want to be a super happy? In three worlds collide. Yeah, but why? I, I missed how what Steven said relates to why you don't want to be a super happy. The super happies find out that the Star Trekian humans in that story allow for specific things, mm-hmm. and everyone except the neutral party on the super happy ship passed out or blacked out or had to take a nap from the stress. Yeah. I mean, that almost sounds like an appropriate reaction if you learned about something terrible, right? And so, like, even the humans on the ship kind of realized that, like, man, our reaction to the babies being eaten was kind of mild compared to what it really should have been. Right, but their reaction was to us allowing the emotion of embarrassment to exist. Sure. This is all kind of an aside. You should read Three Worlds Collide. It's a fun, what, six or seven chapter short story? And the first three chapters are hilarious. Mm -hmm. The first what? Three. And what, do the super super happy show up at what, three or four? Number three. I think it's two. Okay. It's also an audio form on the Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality podcast. But then you don't get to... Enjoy the comments per wiki page, which I think are quite worth it. All right, there we'll 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 link to both. So this thing with the like like doing the utility math is kind of like when when there's a super powerful AI and there's a singularity, it needs to be able to solve all the trolley problems, basically. Well, even we need to solve trolley problems a lot, right? Well, well, sure, yeah. And we're eventually. I mean, there's there's this whole thing about like self driving cars and like. If it has to make a trolley decision, like we want it to be the correct one, yeah. But I mean, right. right, and anyone who works at a hospital, well, actually, I guess anyone who works with the budget at a hospital has to make trolley decisions every single time budget time comes around. Sure, sure, that makes sense. So if you put a a number on a human life, and we do, 
then you're saying that these numbers are important and that we should maybe shut up and multiply how many lives we can save per dollar as opposed to going with these squishy intuitions. Mm. And if we are saying that, yes, the math is the best way to do things because it gives us the greatest benefit, then we shouldn't all of a sudden abandon the math as soon as it says something that we think is not to our intuition. And if this were in written form, shut up and multiply would be a link to another podcast. And it will be... It's a, like a catchphrase or something? Shut up and multiply, yeah. Okay. From less wrong, yeah. Oh, is it, is it, is it like expand the, the, the problem to figure out if it's... Like if you have an idea about a small scope problem that you multiply or something? Yeah, shut up and multiply means trust the numbers. Okay. Don't don't go with uh, your... So just do the math. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah like, I have a problem. I do have a problem with that in general. Okay. But, like I mean, an example with the hospital that Inyash was mentioning, say if like one little girl needed a liver and the hospital director could buy one for $8 million and that would shut down the hospital or however many, however many dollars oh. the hospital needs to not be shut down. Or the director could, she could keep the, the hospital running and save all the other lives and let that little girl die. Well, a lot of people will be like, well, you got to save the little girl because the children and because life and well, you can't put a price on a life. But the idea, one of the ideas of shut up and multiply is just, look, you can and you, you have to and you can. So let's, let's just not sit here and wring our hands needlessly. Let's just realize, yes, this little girl is going to die. And in exchange, the hospital is going to stay open and do all the great things the hospitals do, right? Yeah, yeah, so, right, right. Like, so, so I understand the concept. It's just that, like, and, and there are probably many, many, many situations in which doing the math makes a lot of sense, and that probably will yield the, the optimal outcome. But aren't there situations in which it wouldn't? I, I believe that is the argument that whenever uh, someone gets to a point where there's something they're not willing to accept based on their squishy feelings, they say, well, this is one of those cases where the math doesn't apply. And the, the response which I personally give, because I would not put these words in Eliezer, is fuck you, prove it. If you say the math always works all the time, except for the one case where your emotions are so important they overrule the math. Well, not even just one, I mean. I'm, I'm willing to, if you can, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you can think of something like one, we can try and develop a case where we would all so be willing to throw out the numbers. If uh, the whole conclusion of this is that we should trust the math on Eudelons, and that... Assuming we get the Eudelon uh, calculation right. Sure. That we can figure out how many Eudelon's torture actually is. Sure. Yeah. Assuming that, the conclusion is we should trust the math on if a Eudelon is a thing we can measure, we should go for the more positive Eudelon's or for the least amount of negative Eudelon's. Yes. And I think I can scale this up and argue against his entire dust spec versus torture conclusion. Ooh, do that then. So if all humans have a perfect 50-year lifespan and... Uh, the starting of this theory is a 50-year or one entire lifespan of torture versus a huge number of dustbecks. Then keep the torture where it is and uh, scale up the dustbecks to everyone getting two dust specs. Oh, scale it the other direction. So you're saying, like, increase the number of dust specs to reduce the amount of torture you'd have to offset that. Right. So what if everyone has to be tortured? Yep. And okay. everyone, like, actual tortured and not dustbeck tortured... Say it's real torture for one year. I'm pretty sure everyone would argue that uh, being so, tortured for your entire 50-year lifespan is not a wor life worth living. And so if life worth living is a different metric, not directly related to the Eudelons from the dust spec argument, then you could reframe the argument of three to the third to the third to the third lives worth living versus one life not worth living. Uh, say everyone has to have dust specks in their eye. It's just going to happen. Okay. 
Would you like to live in that world where dustbacks fly into your eye? I'm assuming yes, seeing as you are in fact here. Yes, definitely. Would you want to live a life where you were tortured for 50 years, which happens to be your exact perfect measurement of lifespan? No, of course not. So is there somewhere in between where you draw the line? Like where you would accept more torture than dust specs? No, where you would accept accept being tortured for for a good life. life. Like most people, I'm assuming, would not be willing to be tortured for 49 years to have one year of wonderful life. Oh, I see. I'm going to draw. The, I'm going to draw the line at 10. percent Okay. J- just to just to get the conversation. Giving going. what you can. Yeah. Ten. Exactly. <laughs> that, the numbers on my head. Giving what I can. I'll give 10 years. You can. No, you can Strap me to the table. Oh right. Well, well, 10 percent. Yeah. So it'd be five years, right? Well, I I imagine living longer than 50 years. But yeah, you're right. So I see what you're I see what you're going up. But I feel like that's a different problem. It's a different entirely. problem, but it attacks the same conclusion. So where does this leave us? So it brings us back to you, uh, I remember while we were talking at the meetup. Uh, by you, I am pointing at Sean, sorry. Hi. <laughs> Sean at the meetup uh, is one of the people who has read uh, Those Who Walk Away from Amalus. I don't know if that's oh, how it's pronounced. Yeah, it's, well, I, I always said Amalus, or Amalus. I, I think some people say Omalus. Okay, which, which um, is how Ursula- you can tell that Sean is one of the better kind of people. I, I guess. I, I mean, it's uh, so. Yeah, for those who don't know, I mean, most people probably are aware of it. But like, uh, oh, short man. story written I'm by. I'm feeling really stupid now. No, <laughs> never no, heard. No, of it's this. not one of those things. <laughs> you either know it or not. You don't. It's trivia, right? Um, it's it's I'm just a shitty person, according yeah, to me. Yeah, trivia gets you free beer. <laughs> Ursula, well, yeah, I mean, no, well, I've hey, that for a long time though. <laughs> uh, Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin wrote this short story called "Those Who Walk from Omelas or Omelas." Um, one of in, the most famous short stories in science fiction history. Yeah, um, which, science fiction history isn't all that long. Oh sure, no, and and it's just this allegorical um, story about how America exploits third world working wages, basically. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, that's what a lot of people think, and okay. that's what a lot of people okay. speculate on. So you are putting a lot of stuff onto that story, which is not in the story at all. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let's let's forget I said that. Okay. Um, those Who Walk From Omelis is about a utopian society in which... Like Everyone has lives this perfectly happy life where there's no in, there are no inconveniences and everything. Everyone, it's just peachy keen and awesome all the time. And it's not like one of those shitty utopias where it turns out to actually, you know, people aren't really happy. This is one of those utopias that if you were to make a utopia that is actually perfect for human flourishing and everyone would want to be there without any catches, it's that utopia. Basically, yes. And and so the culture, the way, the only way that's what your utopia is. Sure. The only way in which it is possible for this utopia to exist in its in the way that it does is that there's this child, this tiny child that is locked away in a basement and just basically tortured all the time, just constantly treated very, very, very poorly. Do they stay a kid the whole time or do they age? This is a snapshot of a particular, but, but I mean, I, I, they don't really cover that exactly. But however, the one thing that happens is that I, I believe everyone in the utopian society has to go down in that basement and look at the child and see what happens to it. One time in their life. Yeah. One time in their life. And some people go down there, look at it, are so disgusted that they walk away from Amelis. Most people don't. Most people look at it and they go, hmm, well, that's unfortunate. And they go about their lives and they just continue living in a utopia. And it is an acceptable price to pay. Two quick things. One, I have heard of the premise of this, if I, even if I didn't know the name. And two, do they know what they're going to go look at? I don't think so. No. It's been, so they, they, do they just say, hey, once in your life, you have to make a pilgrimage to my basement? Yeah. But like, it's there's no, there's no, like, it's, the, it, they don't, it's okay. not like you're not coming to look this at my is, book collection. You're coming to look at something scary. This is an interesting story because uh, as someone in my book club once pointed out, this is a story rather unique in that it has no characters and no plot, and yet it <laughs> yeah. is still a very good story. It, it's right. it's it, like everything's spoken about in generalities. There's no yeah exactly. There's no protagonist. There's basically just 
It's just a snapshot. The, the, the author, it's, it's a very conceptual thing. The author's not specific about anything. So any of, any of the questions you have about like the specific conditions, I am completely unable to Fair answer. Enough. I'll, I'll need to read the whole thing, but I guess just for... It's really, for it's inter- really short. It's like yeah. two pages. That's cool. Exactly. For entertaining it just for the, the sake of thinking about it, to me, there'd be a big difference if like you knew what you're going to go look at and you had to live with that knowledge the entire time you're in this utopia. I feel like that would kind of detract from the fun of it. Well, I mean, so given that once, everyone's not having a bad time, I would you've think... you've seen it, and it's implied that it's like sometime early in your life, sometime within the first two decades or so. Oh, so it can't be your last week. No. Oh, okay. No. So that, that's what I was going to say is like, if you're told It's probably at birth, you see it early adulthood or something. Okay. Maybe it's like, whatever. You can just speculate randomly when you turn 18, yeah. you, when you're ready to vote or something, whatever. Yeah. Um, okay, so that makes sense. I was going to say... I mean, it's kind of a rite of passage, yeah. Right. All right. All right, so that that changes it. That's interesting. So then this that's the dust specs conundrum writ large, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. So it sounds to me like if you weren't living with the knowledge that somebody was suffering the entire time, because that would detract from your presumably from how happy you could get. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't want to be the kind of person who would be happy knowing that someone was being tortured for my happiness. But assuming I didn't know it. And I just found it out, you know, in the last week or something. I'd still have a pretty good life, right? Mm-hmm. By the measure of the book, the best life possible. Pretty, pretty much everyone who's read the story wants to think that they would be one of the people that would walk away, at least from what I've heard. See, so does that uh, mean they don't buy cell phones anymore? Because <laughs> the microprocessors, you know, where I'm going. With this. I, I do know where you're going with this, Whoa. yes, but uh, no, no. That's that's remote <laughs> enough. They probably they probably wouldn't visit a cell phone production factory in the third world, right? Well, and even if they did, it's hard to opt out of life. Yeah, but you, I mean, you have could to become a hermit in the well. They they somewhere. they do make ethically produced phones. They're just ridiculously expensive, and they're also ugly like, and like shitty as hell compared to actual phones yeah, that again, but they're are more harmful to the environment. So there's that too. And again, that's one phone. Do you still drive a car? Do Correct. you burn oil? Do you go to McDonald's? Do you exist in a society where this is the foundations of everything that make us the society we are? Fair enough. So would you stay? I get the impression that you're going to say you'd stay. Uh, when I first read it, fuck no. Uh, I, I, I also thought of myself as one of those people who would walk away from a mollusk because that's horrific when you read that. You're like... Yeah, it's I, a very emotionally impactful thing to have to witness, yeah, right? How you, bad it, it, is wouldn't it bother you just so much? And this, this cannot stand. I will not be party to this. So right? if 50% of the people of the whole society all at once left because of that reason, would it make a difference? Oh, it's implied that very few people actually leave. But if... If... If 90% of the people of that society left because they didn't tolerate the child being tortured, mm-hmm. would it change anything about the child being tortured? No. Then what's the point? Right. Uh, wouldn't w- the, the thing that finally changed my mind a little bit was uh, reading Scott Alexander's post on those who walk away from Amalus or Omalas or however you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, those who walk away from omelets. <laughs> right. Which kind of a monster walks away from an omelet. Son of a bitch. <laughs> At least while it's still warm. We have a world where children are tortured in basements and live horrific lives for their entire life, and we don't get a utopia in return. No, we don't. We get, we get, um, I actually learned recently that uh, Thorn, uh, Ashton Kutcher is the CEO of Thorn, and. What's Thorn? It, it is software that helps combat human trafficking, like. Okay, how? By scanning the dark net, or the deep net. Or whatever it's, it's called, darknet. it's darknet. Um, the, the, it's 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 supposed to things. monitor the darknet for information so they can hand it off to like authorities to intervene. Basically, that's all I know about it. Because the, the only reason I even know about this is because I saw a video, like a two minute clip of Ashton Kutcher talking about it. Does it actually work? Um, I could not tell you for sure. I know that they're hiring. Huh? But no, a, a minor I, thing that I I wanted to inter- interject there. Yeah, the, the point of the post is that we do have 
that kind of world with those children in it and much worse things besides on just orders of magnitude more scale. And we certainly haven't gotten a utopia out of it. So when no. you're walking away from Amalus, you're walking into a world that is much, much worse. And if you were to stay in Amalus, there would only be one child being tortured forever and all this other good stuff comes because of it. I think intent has a large part to do with that, though. Yeah. Intention-based uh, morality. It seems that Omelets deals with the Compl- purposeful intent on torturing the child to maintain the utopia. Or at least being complicit in it. Yeah. I think, I think it, has more just, do, it has more to do with complicity, yeah. Ours is just well, but I don't even know. But I, again, I'll, I'll read the whole thing. It's two, it's two pages. We should just stop while we all read it for three minutes. But since we're not going to do that, I'll just speculate that you're not really complicit if you you're not making a decision to make it stop if you walk away which was so, my point about if 90% of the people walked away would anything happen no so like and apparently it, not sure but like and you're, you're not complicit in the fact that like you just have to go look you don't have to pick up a knife and go help for 2 minutes right so uh if, you don't no. you, you it, just have to look at you it just you just have, have to look at, at what's happening yeah i think there was something like you're not allowed to say anything nice to the yes, child or yes. like console it or make it like better right. you're, you're 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 supposed to look Maybe you don't have to actually actively contribute, but you can't intervene in a way that alleviates anything. What a great thought experiment to control for that, too. That's really interesting. I get that it's two pages. They don't specify what life is like outside Omalus. Yeah, The story is two pages? That's pretty interesting. It is a short, short story. Yeah, the first page and a half is basically saying how wonderful their society is. And then the last, the second half of the page is is describing how awful this child's life is. And then the very last paragraph is some people walked away. Yep. So, I mean, like, if they walked away and they managed to recreate all the, the utopia without the without the tortured kid, obviously they're doing the right thing, maybe. Right. Well, I guess, I mean... It's implied that you kind of need the torture for some reason. Right, that there's some magic yeah. engine that's being turned on this kid's suffering. And it seems to me like it would be tough knowledge to bear. And I, I mean, I guess, like, you just have to take for granted that there's no way to fix it, that there's no way to correct this problem down the line or something or that you can't work your whole life to make this kid's life any better no matter what so you just have to either like well are you gonna stay here or are you gonna go forage for dirt in the desert it's like well i mean i might as well stay here you know given that there's literally nothing i could do with my entire life to change this circumstance he's gonna be there whether or not i go to the you know leave or not Is, am, I, that, am i an asshole for deciding that no okay well, because no. given that well no no like 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 i i wouldn't say you are but i think it's reasonable for some people to be because like if, if if it's if it's such an uncomfortable and torturous thought for them to acknowledge that they're part of this uh, but it, i feel like they're as much of a part of it whether they live in the city or not like it's just a fact of nature it seems like but they aren't profiting from it if they're not in the city right oh okay that's right that's right so i think there's some degree of complicit being complicit well then that kid's suffering is just going to waste if you're not if you're not feeling good about it right it's true so if uh Omelets is uh, in a solar system with two planets right next to each other, and both of them are Earth-like and full of greenery. And the one planet, Omelet, is magically fueled by the torture of this one kid. And the second planet is just like Earth minus humans. If the option of leaving means you have to go to that other planet, you're actually causing suffering in some way, in that if you're going to live there, you're going to have to hunt animals and eat them. Okay. And dig up the dirt and build a house and start polluting the area. And, and not so live on. in Utopia. Right. Where if you're in the Utopia and being there has literally zero influence on the bad part of that Utopia, then it should be your moral obligation to stay there. That's sort of what I'm thinking. Well, and the other, the other thing, so Inyash mentioned the profiteering, and I wanted to clarify that as long as the kid's suffering is a fact of nature, and if it's nowhere known or implied that the suffering would stop assuming everyone left, because then that would give you a way to alleviate the kid's suffering. You could get everyone I out somehow. I think everyone would have to... 
Leave, so, yeah. But I mean, let's. I mean, for the sake of making it hard, we could just say that the kid's gonna be there suffering, making this perfect omelet planet forever, whether or not you're there or not. So it's like, well, as long as the kid's suffering, we can offset the balance of the universe, the Unilons writ large, uh, over the course of everyone, everyone participating, if more people stayed in the utopia, right? Well, but I mean, but isn't that kind of diffusion of responsibility where it's like, well, well it's gonna happen anyway, I might as well stay. But well, if everyone thinks that, then but there's no responsibility in this thought experiment, right? That like, it's not like there's anything anyone can do about it, even if the entire world ganged up to try and stop it. Like, it's just gonna happen. Yeah, they don't really. I, I mean, again, they, they really don't get into. They, it's not like a huge world build, building scenario where they have this sophisticated like well-defined society it's just it's all very very abstract and very like and ursula does not go into a lot of detail about it it's just an allegory it's like or well i think it is sure and to bring this back to um the last episode you were on it, it's kind of like uh the average citizen of berlin going to their in the 1940s going to their desk job doing accounting every day and realizing that uh there's jews being gassed somewhere mm-hmm I don't know. Do we want to make excuses for for that? Like, well, it's happening anyway. I might as well stay in this society. Right, but you can or should have everyone on have that. left. You what? You can have an effect on that, no matter how small. It is a non-zero effect. Where I think the assumption for omelet was that there is a non-zero effect you can have on the child, no matter what. Or there is a zero effect you can have zero, on the child. Well, or, you're yeah, you're not allowed yeah. to as long as you want to, as long as you want to be a part of the utopia. You have to have a zero effect on the child. So you you can help them. You can help the kid by leaving. You could attempt that to help seem- them. Like, could but you, you get kicked out? Out, of, out of a population of I don't, know I don't how remember many, if there's a part Germans. If one you were to leave, would you make a difference to well, to all those Jews that are being gassed? Potentially, yeah. How? Because that, that's so that's actually an interesting question. Because they're I didn't like the original comparison because yeah, in the I'm sorry, I don't want to say omelet. What was the actual name of the story? Omelus. It's O M E L A S. Right, but if you um, say omelet, we all know how to say omelet, and we don't waste time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, so, omelus. That's fine. <laughs> in 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 omelets, I liked Matt's solution. Um, <laughs> I'm picturing it just as the worst possible, as as the least convenient possible world, right? Where, and I'm imagining just you, you're you're forced to look through this window where you see into another dimension that you can't access. This kid being tortured, and you're told this kid is fueling omelets, um, or this kid's fueling fueling the utopia. You leaving or you doing anything, there's nothing you can do. You can either just stay and enjoy the utopia or you can leave. Although it's interesting how it can still be a utopia when everyone knows it's run on torture. But that aside, the situation in Germany, you could hide Jews. You could smuggle them. You could fudge numbers to say, yes, we've shipped all ours out or something or whatever. Or you could drag your feet and make the bureaucracy more inefficient. Right. But so there are things you could do. Now, if your only choices were life as normal or leaving, that's actually an interesting situation. But that that has to change so many factors. But what was actually possible? Right, that's the range of possibilities. Economy, but it, given just, that, with me being contrarian, as soon as you started saying, you know, I, I think that since the world is going to be the same, you have a duty to stay. I, I, I right away thought, well, do you have a duty to stay in Germany because they're going to keep doing things whether you're there or not, and your life is better in Berlin than if you were to become a refugee somewhere? Jumping back to what what you were jumping saying, jumping back to dust specs. If you are willing to walk away from. Um, Amalas, then I think you are one of the people that chooses Duspecs, right? You might be able to make that comparison. The, the only thing I would say is that those who walk from Amalas is a microcosm, like a very condensed microcosm of this thought experiment with the Duspecs versus torture. Mm-hmm. Like, to the point where I don't know that you could actually make that claim. But conceptually, the people who walk away from Amalas, like, I have a moral objection to the idea that we should torture someone instead of having everybody have dust specks in their eyes because I reject the math. 
And coincidentally, I... That would roughly equivalent, you know, be equivalent to someone walking away from Amalus, right? Do you believe that in principle there is a, a certain amount of distributed suffering that could be worse than 50 years of concentrated suffering? Probably, yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's just that Duspecs, maybe, and maybe Duspecs is just not a good example because yeah, I, 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 it counts as zero for you. Because it basically, yeah, because it basically counts as zero. And I feel like that's one of those things that like it, and, and maybe I'm just projecting my sensibilities onto other people, but it's, but at the same time, it's like, I think of whatever the equivalent is of an extremely minor inconvenience, you know, like you said, um, point zero 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 one, you know, negative utilons or utils or whatever. If you distribute suffering in, in such a way, that everyone's just going to get over it in two seconds, that there you go, like, end, done, slam dunk. Do you not think that someone with an infant lifespan couldn't get over 50 years of torture at some point? Does I that, think that's a Does that question. apply here? Because, well, because I mean, are we talking, talking about human lives that, that have a, a finite span in, for which 50 years is very significant? I think that as long as we're talking about more humans than can possibly exist Okay. <laughs> Even if every atom was a universe? Okay, so you're saying the perspective might be so different in that case for each individual human that has these incredibly elevated lifespans, perhaps, mm-hmm. that 50 years is just like whatever, that's like two minutes for us. Not necessarily whatever. 50 years is still 50 years, but well, if you have a long enough lifespan, you can get over that, right? If 50 years isn't 75% of your life and it's 0.1%, then... maybe. Yeah, then then that does change the math, right? Then you're you're not talking about destroying That's, someone's entire existence. You're talking about inconvenience or making them as in, uncomfortable as possible for a small amount of their life, but a large amount of time. Uh, but Matthew, you had a way to rearticulate the way that you're thinking about comparing what you were saying earlier. I don't want to paraphrase you poorly. So the dustpeck versus single person torture seems like a false dichotomy because we are only measuring negative utilons, in which obviously if we are only measuring negative utilons. We want less negative utilons rather than more negative utilons. But in this case, would the 50 years of torture just be so exponentially more that it's not even comparable to dust specs, even if you multiplied it by this ridiculous number? Well, I mean, that's that's not possible if we're talking about numbers, right? At some point, unless you're talking about literal infinities, if you multiply a small number by a large enough number, it gets bigger than a certain other number. Which is where my argument of life worth living metric comes into play. If I prefer any number of lives worth living over making one life not worth living, then that counters Yudkowsky's argument about dust specs versus torture. Because dust specs is very easy to live with. I have a way to that. I was trying to think of how to flip this. Does anyone know if Zimbabwe dollars are still are worth literally more than zero? Wasn't it like they were so much less worth than the paper they're printed on? Was it Zimbabwe dollars or what was it? I, I know some some currency crashed American last pennies? year. American pennies? I wanted something oh, way less than American pennies. But okay. there have been a number of currencies wow. throughout human history that have gotten to the point where uh, the paper that they're that they're printed on is worth significantly more than the currency that's printed on. Wasn't there something just like a year or two ago where there that currency collapsed? Let's let's imagine one where it's worth a thousandth of an American penny. Just a tangent. I remember hearing not too long ago about uh, a place where people would rush the supermarkets and try to get in fr- stay in front of the guy who's putting the prices on things because inflation was so rapid oh, that yeah. they would have a guy going around constantly putting the prices of things up throughout the day. And if you got to the thing before he came around to put the higher price on it, you could take it to the cash register and pay the lower price. And you would uh, think if it's that bad, they would just go back to the barter system full stop. I've probably a lot of it, I, I'm assuming that there was a big gray market that wasn't uh, barter as well. But the, the, it was a podcast that was specifically tackling that econ problem and how they eventually got over it. And it was just one of the examples they used was 
the inflation was well over 100 percent per day sorry oh no that that the that was a fun thing this was what 19 uh 1920s 1930s which one the this oh the one i'm talking about yeah no it wasn't even that long ago like a decade or two ago oh but not south america oh okay yeah not in the u.s then no no no. um or in in uh, europe there's another big crash like that that i remember hearing about where there was like there's there's pictures that exist so i know it was not too long ago people keying around real girls money Uh, yeah yeah i believe that was weimar germany (laughs) or of the reasons of toilet paper probably is where it would have been right um anyway so i guess to to give i wanted to give a reverse of the dust spec experiment so let's say we can give everyone on earth whether they have a bank account or some way of keeping track of how much money they have. I know a lot of people don't have, like a lot of people on earth don't have money. They, they barely have an equivalent of money, but let's say they could get one extra calorie of, of crop that, you know, that day or something, whatever it is, right? Um, or one extra ca- calorie of crop yield. We could increase their spending power by, let's say, a hundredth of an American penny. We could do that to everybody on earth today, or we can give one person $10 billion. And the assumption is he's going to spend it on himself rather than like donate it to. Oh, plus I see. You're, you're 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 using positive utility. I was trying to think of positive utils, but there that's that is the difference, and that I I couldn't think of one in the midst of the conversation without losing track of what you guys are all saying so, completely. So, so distribute like a like tiny tiny teeny bit of like money versus one person gets ten billion that could do a lot more of that ten billion. Basically. Well, the amount but, of people getting it is a Googleplex and not seven billion. Yeah, and I guess the other difference too is that it's hard to spend ten billion dollars without it making someone else's life better. I mean, you're buying a yacht from somebody, or you're buying an island, or whatever it is. So I guess I I was trying to think, and maybe uh, I, I, I failed to generate a positive util example of this. No, I, I believe in the comments there was a positive util example where uh, it was a one second cat video was the the smallest positive uton. <laughs> And, uh, and I don't, I don't remember what the maximum Newton was, like a life of <laughs> an hour long cat video. You just, <laughs> no. you just, you just like, Maybe like an entire lifetime of orgasm or something. I don't know. Yeah. Basically you have a harem of cat girls X and that harem that tends to your every sexual need basically for your whole life. Just jump to wireheading. It's simpler. <laughs> well, dude, at, at, at that point, just, you know, dump a bunch of, just inject a bunch of dopamine into the brain or, I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? So let's say you could just be the very best at the thing you like doing most. Because that's an actual. You take the orange pill in his. I I liked. You you take the orange pill. pill. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. But there's this thing that um, Scott Alexander wrote about with the the pills. It's like this little fiction thing. You know those memes where it's like, which pill would you take? And the orange one was like, master every human skill. Mm. I would like 100 take that one. It's awesome. Anyway. Wasn't one of them like superpowers? Anyway, we'll we'll, we'll figure that one out later. Maybe there, we can, maybe we can few, argue but they about were very that. Very limited one. in scope. We can argue about that next time because I'm sure there's some way to munchkin one of the superpowers that'd be way better than anything. There, there, there is. The story is about munchkinning the superpowers. Yeah, Perfect. yeah, exactly. It's got Alexander made a very good case for orange, but anyway. So and I agree with him. I was just trying to think of a positive utility example to maybe pump our intuitions the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, um, sure. So, is there any level of how of a number of people that could exist seeing one second of cat video that would equal a lifetime of perfection yeah 40 no i'm kidding <laughs> i like i like cats uh, more than the average person so i'll pick something 46, 46. I'll, pick some, I'll pick something less you know like it could be like just an extra tiny bit of sweetness to something they eat or ate or something right i don't know uh, does that one second of cat video improve someone's life so much that the i mean i it, I it's can, supposed to improve it minutely right it's relative extremely minute improvement yeah so I, I, i'm, the, I'm the example of the person whom a dust speck would kill in the in the reverse experiment, right? Because I like cats that much. Not really, but I'm just ruining the thought experiment because I'm, oh, okay. I'm bored. As long so. as we're ruining things. <laughs> would uh, you rather be... Uh, if there are that many people, one of them would just be... Oh, God, the dust spec would be the worst thing ever, right? Would you rather have uh, happiness specs thrown into everyone's eye exactly one time versus this one dude just getting smothered in happiness dust specs? 
in this example, my, intu- my intuitions pump the other way, where I think, you know, I feel like dispersing that happiness is better. But if I, if I actually sit it and do the math, like I did with the torture problem, I'm, I'm pushed the other way, right? There's one person. Why there's actually. I would assume the other way around, but that's theoretical. So you right? would go for the, the, the big 50 years one in that case, right? In, in terms of positive utility? Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would, right now, my, my answer to that is probably yes. I'm digging up a... Uh, it seems more appreciable. It seems to be a more appreciable benefit than some extremely minor, like, oh, that was cool. Okay, I'm done thinking about how cool that was. And in the meantime, you're going to have other, like, happy and bad things happen in your life. Mm-hmm. And and comparatively, those happy things, those happiness spikes that you have, I mean, they're not continuous, but... That is a consistent position, right? Because yeah, we're saying I, that the total happiness uh, is more when you have that tiny bit of sugar in your tea. And so that would be the correct answer to choose... And yet we're still going with the one with the one person getting all the happiness because we can see that that effect. I wouldn't. Oh, you would go with the tiny bit of sugar uh, spread out among everyone? Yes. Okay. It's easier, more intuitive to go with Stephen's argument about the dollar amounts. Like, I can't help but think that in all these cases, like, unless you know the specifics of how it's going to affect people or what's going to change, then it's kind of hard to just make a call like, this is always true, this is always false, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I would always go with this answer. I would always go with this other answer. So, like, we, we could, you could just make it as abstract as possible to make that really easy, right? You could just say everyone on Earth gets 0.0001 plus one or plus, you know, that, that percentage of utils or one person gets a billion or a trillion or whatever number you want to throw at it, right? And so sure. then, then that way you don't even have to say, well, what about the you possibilities? Don't have to think about, like, you just, or dust specs. You just think about actual utils, right? right? So this, this relates to a kind of fun thought experiment that, is a kind of challenge to utilitarianism that uh, the author of the webcomic Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial independently invented called The Utility Monster. Wait, Zach came up with that independently? Yes. I'm really surprised because he's so well-read, I would assume he would have run into that. Was this early on in his career? I'm pretty sure. He was on an episode of Rationally Speaking, and Julia asked him about that, okay. and I'm 90% sure he said he thought of it by himself. Neat. Um, anyway, so the, the idea is that you could say one person on Earth is just for whatever quirk of nature, just way ha- made way happier by things than, than the average person is. And so if you're going to go by like total amount of happiness, this one person, their utility range accounts for like a third of happiness on earth. If you go by how much pleasure they can get out of things, like them finding, like, you know. It takes someone $10 to, to be a little bit happier. This guy for $10 feels like someone who's won the lottery. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's well. Isn't that kind of like why you abstract the the util? I mean, that's what you're. you're yeah. Getting. But I'm getting at just another fun little way of like. So one of these. This whole problem is just like you know. Do you go with like totals or averages or? If, if you're you, trying to maximize total utility in the universe, you give this monster all the utility there is. Everyone else lives in absolute poverty because their poverty is is it's not worth giving them an extra ten dollars because no matter who you give the extra ten dollars to. This guy enjoys it so much more, you get more utility in the universe if you give it to him. Right. And it is supposed to make you make that look, because everyone is like, that's fucked up. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah, I guess sounds like a real asshole, and I don't even know him. Well, but it's not even... And I even applied to gender. I assumed his gender. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shitlord. <laughs> so, it's, it's, the idea is that this person is just capable of so much more. And this is actually not inconceivable for God, uh like like rand in here now designing minds from scratch right you could design a super intelligence that its range of experience just puts it way above like it puts us it, it's like relates to us in the way that we do to ants yeah. right well i mean and so yeah, it, I, I love that you brought that up because i i like the argument that we have met the utility monster and he is us 
that uh, humans have decided that we are capable of so much more uh, intellectually and emotionally and our lives are just so much richer and more important that we don't care about the other animals, really. They, they don't count. Well, the they, 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 they came into algebra, I mean... Right, exactly. The few utils on. that, you know, a chicken could get throughout its entire life is we get more utils than that from eating that chicken by an order of magnitude, so it's totally worth it. So many vegetarians disagree with that math, and that's why they're vegetarians. Yes, but yes. Uh, the, the point could be taken. And I... I I think that defeats the idea of the one utility monster. Mm. Like, it's not one or super species. species. Of utility monster. Yeah. So, like, there's a difference between that and, like, just one person hogging all the utils, right? So, so like, at least it's, it's divided. Dude. And this is actually a really, this leads into another really fun thought experiment by Derek Parfit from his 1984-86 book called, Of Reasons and Persons, I think it's called, but now I'm, <laughs> I'm hedging on that. Anyway, it's the idea of the repugnant, the repugnant conclusion. Mm. And he can daisy chain you along this, 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 path where you could say i'll try and be brief but it's really worth diving into the idea is that you could say all right well we've got a world populated entirely by people who are just as happy as possible one million maximally happy people right and then you could typically get people to agree the way that he lays these things out that if we introduce some people who are 9.8 out of 10 on the happiness scale to this world now there's 1.5 million well that's a better world there's just there's more happiness 9.8 is good 10 10 is the best and then you can get it to kind of where you just slide the scales down where say you get uh people who are at you know you get half populations at six and other population the other population is at eight but that's still better because there's more of them um so it it does take a couple minutes to get all the way into but it's it's a fun and i've mentioned this like three times we should just get into it at length later but i'm not feeling completely collected right now i've heard the same thing it's it's a great thought experiment like if one million extremely happy people is great two million almost as happy people seems like pretty good still as well maybe even better right is the conclusion that there's a certain level of happiness you know you keep adding people you keep doubling the amount of people and every time you double the amount of people you decrease the, the total happiness just a little bit is there a specific line where you stop because it's not worth it right exactly and because if at so some point you get down to very miserable people right and you can double the amount of people that there are and they're slightly more miserable but they're still up on the positive side of the scale the the, the the ultimately you never get to the negative side of the scale because at that point you say let's stop making people but if, as long as you keep uh, reducing the, to- the, av- the average happiness of any one person by a little bit, but you double the amount of people, you increase the total utility. And they have no society. effect on the previous people. The idea, just really quick, is also that these people, these people still have lives worth living. Yes. That it's not like they're barely subsisting or they're, they're suffering their entire lives. They're just, things are okay. You know, there's, there's fewer TV shows to watch in one, in one version of this, you know, food tastes a little less sweet. Things, things just get a little bit worse, but like they still have overall good lives. The, the, the repugnant conclusion is that you could end up with by days chaining in along this line. I mean, if you just jump straight there, then people kind of aren't willing to jump, but they're willing to walk and they're willing to say, you know, all right, cool. So I'll take a, I'll take a world with 10 billion people who, you know, are only kind of happy for the most part, as opposed to a world with a thousand maximally happy people. So you have a million people with happiness level eight, right? Why does adding more, why, why is adding more people better outside of more utility, which is kind of like an, just kind of an abstract, just kind of a weird abstract it's, measurement it's in the of, first place. It's, 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 it's like, so why even add people? Cause if they don't exist, they have no, uh, I'm going to ask you personally, does it seem kind of like a dick move if there's a million people on the earth for you to say, I don't think I'm willing to take a tiny decrease in my quality of life so that there can be another million people having this wonderful life? 
I mean, mean, would you be willing to take just a tiny decrease of, of in your course. quality of life so that certainly. another million people can well, have well, great lives? Well, well certainly, but in, right, in, in this... just keep repeating that step ad, ad nauseum. Oh, oh, right. No, no. Like, like, like I, I see where you're going. I'm just, like, thinking in a very specific situation where it's like, here we are, snapshot of this world. We have a million people. We have to cr- make more people in the first place to, to elevate them to a certain level of happiness that is, like, an, uh, you know, an average of everyone in the world or whatever it is that... If there are a million people that at level eight, and you add another million people, and you decrease that to like seven point five for everyone, right? Like, obviously, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that doesn't sound bad at all." But I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of like why, like, where do the extra people come from? Why, why would there be more people? I don't know. They teleported in from the dimension of non-existence. There, yeah. I mean, they're they're there for the thought experiment to exist, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. like where these aspects come from. Sure, no, um, no, yeah. I mean, that's that's why it's called the repugnant conclusion because eventually people are like, "Well, that's a shitty conclusion." I'd rather have the first one. Yeah, 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 right. You're very slowly raising the temperature and decreasing yeah. the temperature. But right? every single step along the way makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah. The, baby, the baby steps make sense, of course. It's really, it's it's not very contentious, right? Because it's just... That's why it's one of my favorite ones. It's not one of those ones that you can just shoot a hole in if it's I delivered think right. I you have to see it ahead of time. You'd be like, oh, you're going to keep doing this. Like, like after the first step, you're like, oh, yeah, totally, totally I do it. And then the second step, you're like, oh, he's going to keep doing this. <laughs> and eventually, you're. Uh, I see where you're going with this. Oh, I'm on. I see you. As long as the lives are worth living, as perceived by the people that are living the lives, I would assume that it should go on indefinitely. Ooh. Until you get to the point where it's not worth living and then stop. You're taking that bullet then. Mm-hmm. So you're going to write it all the way to the bottom and say lives that are barely worth living are if the people, just good If enough. you ask the people at the end of their life, would you rather have never existed or have lived this life? And they kind of go like, meh, I guess. As long as it was a on the yes spectrum. Fair enough. So, yeah, I, you're going to ride that slope all the way to the bottom. I like it. Uh, right, but I'm going to stop at that point at, where yeah, the bottom the point. is. Yeah, I think that that's where you're supposed to stop. And, and sure. on the other side of that bottom is being tortured for 50 years. Right. At the other, oh, side, of the, oh, at the okay. other side of the slope, you get dust specks, and then you go all the way to uh, being tortured forever. Yeah, well, yeah. you go from, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're 10 out of 10, but uh, the people after you are 9.99 because they're getting dust specks. Right. Fair enough. Are any of you were any of you raised in the Christian uh, background? I know you yes, vaguely. I was kind of kind of Catholic, but I I never really I never really bought into it. Ever. After I learned of the utility monster, I kind of had the intuition that it feels like God is the utility monster. Huh. That he matters so much that all of humanity doesn't really matter. We're here just to praise him and you know feed him utils because he's the only being that matters in the universe. I've also heard the same thing about a singularity. It depends on what kind of singularity God you're trying to make, but I, don't, I also don't like using the word God for the AGI, but as far as the God of Christianity, I think that's kind of the point in that AGI. you would get a large percentage, I think, with the, the Christian God example, I think that's kind of the point, that God does matter that much. That's why you can't indulge in the your, your petty pleasures like masturbation, because look at how much that'll make God sad, right. and his happiness matters so much more than yours. I'm pretty sure Christians would argue that you cannot make God sad. In any case, uh, we're getting kind of off track. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, do we want to go on to listener feedback? Do we have any? Yeah, I got some. All right, let's do that really, really quick. Nice. You guys, you guys can chime in if you want. It'll be fun. What? So, Eddie says uh, on our Punching Nazis episode, the Superman radio series Clan of the Fiery Cross is well worth listening to, if nothing else than for the old-timey radio ads. It was hosted on the Superman homepage for a while, but I couldn't find it. It is easily found on YouTube. Thank you, Eddie. All right. Econ Detective on uh, our signaling episode says... In response to the idea that cash is the ideal gift, I have an alternative theory. 
When computers are trying to solve complex maximization problems, one feature many algorithms have in common is randomization in the early stages. Without randomization, they tend to get stuck at local optimum while missing out on some other global optimum. In our consumption decisions, we're trying to optimize across the space of all consumption bundles with a limited knowledge of what's available. Consequently, we might get locked into a local maximum without discovering some better option that exists out in the world. Consider the case where someone discovers a lifelong love of painting because someone bought them art supplies as a gift. The value of that discovery could be valuable enough to cancel out hundreds of useless gifts. So my theory is that it might be worthwhile to put up with many suboptimal gifts because the random factor they add to our consumption decisions actually helps the discovery process. I can see the the benefit of that. And it does kind of, it would make Christmas kind of fun. I could give my entire family 20 bucks each or whatever, mm-hmm. or I could go out and just throw a, an arrow and just like grab something random off the shelf and be like, you're getting a beach ball. You're getting a, an air horn. I don't I mean, know, whatever it is. Right. So I think the random discovery thing is actually really important. And I love that he brought that up because now I am feeling much better about gift giving. Perfect. Random discovery is really cool. I, uh, at least two times in my life, I have decided that I need to change something. And so what I did was just with some minor exceptions for things that are really just obviously terribly stupid ideas. Anything that I get asked, my answer is yes. Can I have 20 bucks? I'm not in one of those phases. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> that, that's basically a random number generator for life events. Because you get asked things at random, especially if you're on Facebook. Every now and then someone would be like, oh my God, can, you drive, can anyone drive me to the airport or some shit like that? And I'm like, yep, right here. And it has led to experiences that I never would have had and thrown my life on very different directions. And I like it. I strongly recommend everyone try some random number generation in their life at some point. You're also choosing which gifts to receive in that example, though. Which gifts to receive? Um, the gift of being stuck in a car driving someone to the airport. Oh, 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 no. I mean, it was literally a policy of unless it is something that could be severely harmful for me. I don't know, do drugs with me, would you help me bury a body? Anything that isn't that massively negatively impactful on my life, I just say yes to. All right. If it's something that I would really hate and sounds shitty as fuck, I'm like, whatever. I Actually, said I'm saying yes to everything, so I'm s- saying yes. So that's what you mean by RNG is is saying yes to, it's, it's like... All of the things. No, not right. necessarily. But I mean, if that is that is one great way to make an RNG in your life, no hmm. matter what you hear, say yes to it. Even if you're sure it's something that you will hate, Say yes anyway, because fuck it. I'm sure. actually com- I'm actually okay. convinced by what you just said, and I'm definitely going to try that because that sounds. I don't I don't do a lot. I, don't, I pass up opportunities to get out all the time. Mm-hmm. If I just did a month where I'm like, I'm going to say yes to everything. That's convincing to me. I'm going to give it a shot, and I'll report back eventually when I get around to doing that. Yeah, awesome. Hey, Steven, can I have twenty dollars? I haven't con- I haven't started. <laughs> Will you let me know when you have? Don't let. I haven't started, exploded. so I'm going to say no. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah, you ain't caught cool. me. Ironclad, you're not falling for anything. Yes. On the list of things that I'm not going to do, it's going to be everything Matt asks. Do we have any... I think we had a few more. Sure. When we, you and me and Katrina were talking about how the term social justice warrior, I thought wasn't negative at first. You, you didn't... Oh, like like whether it's like kind of pejorative? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it was my impression that originally it wasn't because I liked that term, but it turns out I'm kind of a stupid head or something. <laughs> Because more people more often, I think, use it as a pejorative. But, but, but like, some people do wear it as a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I fight for social justice. Anyone who... Uh, I'm would, a social justice cleric. Anyone who would pejoratively be called a social justice warrior, that person oh. would likely not have called themselves that. Oh, happily. I challenge. I feel like a lot of people you can get online where they can be like, I'm doing social justice. That's why I'm it harassing this person. Sometimes, because people, people like to do the whole, like, you know, signally, like... 
oh, I'm a, I'm a social justice paladin. You know, they'll they'll make like the they'll they'll throw in other D and D classes and stuff. But I, that's kind of like jokey too. I would I like know. to use myself as an example because back when I was more into social justice before it became what it is today, I actually did use the term social justice warrior for myself because I was like, yeah, that's a good term, right? We're 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 fighting for social justice. Why wouldn't we be social justice warriors? And it's because it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's an offshoot of like I'm keyboard dumb. warrior, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Which you yeah. talked about in the previous one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So I didn't actually listen to that one. That was just... Yeah. So it turns dad. out that it was actually always pejorative. I'm just dumb. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, well, you, you I took mean, the you, obvious interpretation, just not the popular one. I guess, kind of like the yeah. same way that same yeah. way that I thought um, when Neil deGrasse Tyson was saying that seven uh, percent of scientists uh, still believe in God, and it's probably more than that, isn't it? Uh, well, no, no, seven percent of at the very highest level at the National Academy of Sciences. Gotcha. Still, seven percent of those believe. Huh. And my interpretation was though. that he was saying, "What the fuck is wrong with these seven percent?" When it turns out he was saying the opposite: that as long as these seven percent believe, you still you got a, a problem on your hands, atheists. And uh, I like my interpretation better. And I don't necessarily know if that's his interpretation. I think what he's saying is that you can be as versed in science as you want, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be an atheist. I don't think he's saying checkmate atheists. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, think he's yeah, even yeah, saying yeah. check atheists. I think he's just uh, he's just pointing out that some people can live with cognitive dissonance. It's, it's more like check yourself atheists rather yeah, than yeah. checkmate atheists. I, right. Yeah, I was. The, the, I just I interpreted completely wrongly. Is what I'm saying. I kind of have a record of interpreting things that make me uh, happy. I think most humans do. Yeah. Okay. It's called bias. Yeah, yeah. I have a pro-happiness in my life bias, and it's not served me well. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I have similar issues that we can dive into another time. Okay. I turn out to be super gullible. Mm-hmm. All right, so we can, we'll dive into a quick example. Like, when I was a kid, I remember watching on TV some reenactment, and I didn't, I didn't know it was a reenactment. Someone was being attacked by a dog or something. It was something just happened to be on the TV, and my parents didn't scream what was on when I was in the room. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, I don't know. I, I was under seven, because I think I vaguely remember it being in my... my first childhood home and it moved when I was six. I'm, I'm watching this and I turn to my mom and I'm like, why isn't the person in the camera helping? Why are they just watching and getting this on tape? <laughs> and she's like, they're, they recreated this for TV. They're, they're dramatizing it for people to, you know, just show a story of what happened. And I was like, oh. And it's like the idea that they, they would fake it never occurred to me. I also used to think that when they would do flashbacks to childhood and TV shows, that they actually like filmed that scene with that actor 20 years ago and then waited 20 oh, years to film the rest of the movie. Damn, dude. So, like but the boyhood movie? I was, I guess I, I have this weird compunction for like assuming that there's no trickery involved. Yeah, I've, I've been very gullible. What you see is what you too. get. Yeah. Child logic. Yeah. I, so I mean, that is child too. logic, but even as an adult, I tend to believe people way too much. Even sometimes when people are just joking, and I'm like, really? That's fascinating. And like, no, you dumbass. <laughs> You're just not snarky enough then. I guess. Well, yeah, I'm, getting, I'm getting more jaded, so hey. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> whereas, now, whereas now we have to fact check everything. No, everything right. you read is just like, yeah, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I believe that, no matter how plausible it may seem. But Econ Detective also says uh, on the SJW thing, the way I understand it, SJW isn't a blanket term for everyone interested in social justice, but a specific term for the people who violate liberal norms of political discourse. So they're they're more focused on the warrior than the social justice, right? Like, as in they're they're being racist by hating on white people, or, or they're making extremely emotional arguments, or they're like they're like they're, they're pro violence or something like that. Or like I've I've seen like a you know again just like picturing the extreme examples just to make it an obvious case. Like I saw things picking on the person who played uh, 
Luke Cage. Luke, Luke Cage. Oh. Okay. Uh, I think he's married to a white woman or, or oh. dating one or something when the show came out. And people were like, oh, okay. my God, how could you turn on your you know, people? And these were like Whoa. social justice warriors. Oh. What? So, like, you get this horseshoe of people, like, on the KKK. Oh, those are like the extreme, like, worst people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, but what I'm getting at is that at, at the extremes, they're against, they, they, they tend to share the same Yeah, bigot, they're against bigotries. interracial marriage. Yeah. Just, like, That's, racist well, Slave owners, right? Yeah, well, well, the, you know, like I, I think, I think a lot of the, a lot of the problems with that has to do with, and I'm gonna be very brief about this, is that a lot of people conflate the idea of systemic, uh, pro, like systemic racism or systemic sexism with like individual level, uh, you know, sexism or racism, and that cuts in all directions, right? Mm-hmm. But they conflate those two, so they're like, oh, whatever, cry me some more white tears, or you know, <laughs> e- even if they're talking to one person that they're insulting or berating a lot, you know. And it's kind of like, well, you're directly, you know, dealing with one person here that you are being that way. You know? yeah. So, yeah, his entire next paragraph was basically examples, very much like you guys just made. So I'm going to skip that paragraph <laughs> okay. and move on to the summary that social justice warriors are people who think their political and social goals are so important that they need to jettison the idea of living peacefully in a society with people who disagree. In other words, punching Nazis? Yes. That would be among, yeah, among one of the, yeah, yeah, among many others. So the guy on Tinder that was talking to Katrina was trying to lump all people who have similar views about gender into the category SJW, which is a little like comparing all Second Amendment people to Timothy McVeigh. Mm. Mm. It's a fun comparison. Um, yeah. He also goes on to say it's really hard to have consistent definitions of anything with respect to the culture war because people will try to bend definitions to make their friends seem better and their enemies seem worse. It's probably best to avoid buzzwords like SJW, alt-right, MRA, etc. altogether. Yeah, I think you could just sure. stop saying social justice warrior and call them a regressive left. Yeah. Hmm. Or just an asshole. That's a word that we can all agree on the definition of. Well, yeah, some some and some of them are. Yeah. I think it's good to point out regressive left as meaning they're on the left, which generally aligns themselves with progressivism, but they're asking for regressive options. I'm drawing this horseshoe in the in the air with two hands, and I I think the regressive part is when you is get, where it curves back is when you get yeah. curved in right next and you're, like you're, you're bumping shoulders with the KKK, right? No, that I think that's an important distinction because it's like, man, you guys are kind of operating on the right wavelength, but you're doing it so badly, you're doing it so wrong. If the so, things they're crying for were taken literally, in other words, if what they argued for became policy, it would actually have a negative effect overall. And yeah. it wouldn't be non-progressive. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I mean, yeah. we talked about, like, n- none of us like it when uh, Richard Spencer opens his mouth and says, you know, asshole things. Yeah, but, but none of us are prepared to punch him. None of us are prepared to hit him over it. So that's what you're trying to get at, right? You're basically but, saying, well, then we, if we kept that law and sent that law back in time, we'd um, lock away Galileo. Or took it forward and we'd, we'd lock away really anyone who ever made the law disagreed with, right? Right. So that's, that's sort of the problem. Um, anyway. Uh, on Reddit, Zeke Aaron says, If you want to have something to remember a charity gift with, you could always print out the receipt and fold it into a small paper crane. Everyone has a shelf somewhere. Eventually, you might have a whole shelf of origami representations of donations. I thought that was a wonderful idea. It's cute, but you'd have to remember, you'd have to have enough different shapes. Otherwise, you have ten cranes, and like, well, I don't remember what ten colors, gifts these Different were. colored paper. Yeah, they make but different colored and patterned origami paper. I mean, you can't. I, I'm just like I love the idea of every of having a shelf of cranes, and every single crane is another donation that someone made for me to a charitable cause. I'm like that. That would be really cool. I would like that. Oh, was that for donations or was that just for any gift? I missed the. No, no, no it was premise. specifically for uh, charitable gift donations. Oh, then I think that's Donation, awesome. Donations okay, yeah. that you've given. No, no, no. That no other people have given to you. Oh, okay. Hey, instead of giving that- you a twenty-five dollar gift card to Walmart. I donated $25 to the ACLU, and here's the receipt. I printed it out. Sure, you could put that sure. up on the wall and frame it, but that would be 
kind of tacky. Yeah. Um, where the cranes sounds prettier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, so, I, I got you. Isn't there? I, I only my only source on this is the Ghost in the Shell uh, series. But isn't there uh, some sort of old, um, not superstition, old story that if you fold 1,000 origami cranes in your life, you get a wish? That's, that's certainly outside of Gits. Uh, that's not Gits. There, there, there's a short story. Sudaku and the Thousand Paper Cranes. She has cancer. Yeah. She's this girl who has cancer. She has yes. like leukemia. Mm-hmm. And, and she like she dies before... Uh, spoilers. Mm-hmm. She, I think she dies like two cranes before or something. It's some really small number. Okay. I probably got her name wrong. Is it a thousand? That's not a lot. I thought, I thought it was. I can do a thousand was, before I die of leukemia pretty quickly. It, it might. Have, it might have been. It was a thousand ghosts in the shell. I'm assuming okay. it was probably a thousand in the story as well because it sounds like they took it from something that already exists. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's like a it's like a short story. I'm pretty sure, right? Okay. Yeah, There's I think I heard about it before Gets was an anime. I don't know. A thousand's a fair amount. I mean, you could do a thousand in your lifetime, but it wouldn't be fast. Even counting to a thousand is a pain in the ass. Well, Have you tried counting I think to a she, thousand before? I think she was doing it herself and her hand, like, she was in a lot of pain all the time. So okay. it was, like, laborious and, and, and very difficult. It was, like, you know, but she had to be the one to do it, otherwise she didn't get her wish. Okay, so if we just gave her cyborg arms, she'd be fine. Yeah, but I mean, that's... Well, in the Ghost in the Shell, that was the thing. She was still learning how to use her cyborg body. And that's so, why I... Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I totally plan to have a shelf of origami cranes someday. I think that's a great idea, and I thought that the original proposition was just for gift receipts. Like you said, you don't remember what people give you because it's mostly garbage. So I was like, well, a shelf of garbage paper isn't going to help either. But of of knowing, being able to look at it and be like, oh, this is all you know, life saving money. That's kind of, that that is a great idea. I'm I'm very much in support of it. Yeah. Uh, Elk one two four two nine says on the subject of gift cards. I remember hearing about a psychological phenomenon that helps it to make more sense. The anecdote I heard is, a father wants to buy his daughter and her husband expensive tickets to a baseball game, but it's too close to the date of the game to get the tickets and have them shipped to her. So he transfers the money equal to the amount of the t- cost of the tickets to her with a note saying, use this money to buy the tickets. A week passes, he calls her up, turns out she didn't buy the tickets with the money because once the money was in her account, the tickets seemed too expensive to use that money on, even though she'd received the money unexpectedly, and she ch- thought she'd just keep the money instead. This phenomenon is used to justify gift-giving as opposed to giving cash. It lets you buy something for someone that increases their utility that they would not have bought themselves. And gift cards are a useful middle ground. Giving a person a gift card to a specific store rather than cash gives them a restriction on how the money can be used that enables them to bypass the I can't justify using money to buy this thing even though I would enjoy having it filter in their brains. That's a that's a compelling point if that's what you're going for. For me... If I was given a $50 gift card to GameStop, I'd go buy whatever video game. If I was given $50 in cash, I'd hold on to that because I 50 bucks right now would be would be awesome. Not mm-hmm. like, you know, but it would just be nice to have like an extra 50 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So, I guess it depends on what the gift giver is going for. Do they care more about like what you actually want or what they want you to have? And if they want you to have another video game but they don't know which one or whatever, then get them the gift card. But if they just want you to get whatever you want or be $50 happier, they could just give you cash. Mm-hmm. So. And you could be one of three people. You could be scrounging so much that it's almost insulting to receive $50 for GameStop when you could spend it on money so that you could survive. Right. Or you could make so much money, $50 doesn't matter either way, and being given the game would still barely matter. Or you could be the majority of people in the middle where you're not dying of starvation and you could definitely use that. But maybe you wouldn't use it for the GameStop product. Yeah, I think, and that, I think that's where this is targeted for, is that, that large middle section. Right. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And you should buy the Steam gift card anyway. 
<laughs> right. Assuming, yeah, assuming say, everyone if, computer games. Like, like GameStop is good for console games, but not so much... The key is that PC they know enough you about you. Download. The, the key, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think the key is that they, enough, they know enough about you to get you yeah. an appropriate gift card. I heard you like video games, you know, so here's here's a gift card for, well, for yeah. GameStop. It's like, oh, I do all my gaming on Steam. Then it's kind of a waste, right? Then they've misfired, and then you have, just, you have to find some way to exchange that for money that you can turn yep. into Steam money. Yep. So, <laughs> so I, just, I just wanted to clarify. I, I'm now keeping a list of what constitutes the Ubermensch in my mind. One of them is has red walks away from those who walk away from the mollus. The second one is uses Steam rather than uh, GameStop. The third is yep. facial hair. <laughs> software software delivery system. Exactly one of us has a full beard right now, so that's the person who said that facial hair counts for ubermentary. The other one on the couch has some sweet sideburns. Mutton yeah, chops. Got the got the chops going. Where the other half are baby faced. Well, we've got one clean shaven, one baby faced. Okay. Yeah. I look like womp womp. Yeah, I look like a child. <laughs> I got carded for a rated R movie last year. Oh really? Yeah, Dude. that's amazing. Wow. I'm 27. Dude, I don't <laughs> hold, 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 hold on to that one. I I don't know theaters that card people it, unless they're literally children. They're I like, think you you look like you're 14, but whatever. What I was carded theater? at 18. Maybe they were just being funny, 18, but I I haven't 14. been carded since I was yeah. like a child, yeah, like since started. I was like, too young to drive. It's right? It's not like it's a law. If, well, it's if it's they a let someone who's underage into a rated R movie. There are no legal repercussions. Well, there's the potential repercussion of like getting fired well, you know, yeah, or whatever, right? So there's right. there's those repercussions. They're not going to jail, but yeah, yeah. It, it, What's the likelihood a manager's gonna like look on someone who's serving you and be like, oh, you, you didn't card him? Yeah. Right. I don't know. I mean, maybe that. Maybe that. Was I think it's about preventing true. angry mothers from yeah. yelling at you. Yeah. I think, but it's it's entirely possible. I don't look that. I don't look ten. No. So it could be that the no, person no, behind no, the counter no. was just having fun. I don't know what it was, but it did stick out. I'm gonna go ahead and absolve your concerns. You don't look like you're ten. Great. <laughs> did Welcome. it look like there that was their first week at the job? Or? I honestly don't remember. I just remember like the. I remember looking at my ID and I'm like, seriously, how do you think I got here? Like I, mm. you know, there's there's two of us. You think that uh, whatever it was just a thing. She's not so, my babysitter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Uncognition on Reddit just a few hours ago says, regarding our EA episode, you got at least one person, me, to finally take the Giving What We Can pledge after much needless procrastination. Yay! Nice. Sweet. Good job, Sam Harris too. did that for me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, fuck yeah, that's awesome. That I mean, so that's exactly what I was talking about on the show, was that, on the one hand, there's this, there's this societal norm where soliciting your gift giving and how charitable you are is seen as, like, dickish somehow, but... If you post every every time you send a donation, you post the receipt to Facebook and text it to your entire family or something. But there's, I think there's a fine line to walk between, like, I guess, being in everyone's face and about it all the time and just kind of doing it super quietly, never telling anyone unless they ask or whatever. But the idea is that, you know, if you can break the taboo about talking about it and get more people, you know, engaged... Again, we've got one more person doing it, even even like a day, right? Yeah, that that yeah. literally adds up to a percentage of a life saved, mm-hmm. or po- possibly an actual person who's not dead, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, yeah. There's there like uh, like uh, Patrick Rothfuss had like a um like a world building like um stream he did once, and he started talking about Heifer International, mm-hmm. and he made a really good case. He went into detail about what they do and everything, and it was and I thought it was so cool that I. I like was like okay. I'm gonna give him some of my money and like you know, forked over some money. And it was like, I, I gave a hundred dollars to Tostam after reading uh, Ozzy's blog post on Thing of Things about yeah. how it helps prevent female mutilation and seemed pretty effective. Uncloggin also says late in the episode you brought up money priming, the finding that subtle reminders about money can prompt people to become more selfish and not donate as much to charity. Mm. One of you, that would be me, asked about replication. In fact, this effect has not replicated in well-powered studies. 
Good. They then provide several links, two links specifically that demonstrate and discuss this repeated failure to replicate. I, the reason I ask nowadays about replication for social study, uh, for social research, is because there have been at least a few people who've said we should start considering the year 2016 year zero for social research and anything that happened before year 2016, ask, did it replicate? Because there were so, so many things in social research that someone managed to find an effect once and published it like crazy and blew it all out of proportion and no one bothered to replicate. And now that people have started trying to go back and replicating, they just don't replicate. One of my favorite ones was the finding that if you give someone a warm cup of coffee to hold in their hands, they become warmer uh, emotionally to the people they're talking to. Whereas if you give them a cold drink to hold in their hands, they become more distant and cold. I, I really liked that one, and I repeated it several times, and then it turned out several years later they tried it again, and it did not replicate. Sounds like something Socrates came up with. <laughs> and, and it does, doesn't it? Well, it also seems you know, to be- The thing is, there was actual research to support this, data and everything. It's just that it was one of those, you know, data mining, we managed to find an effect by coincidence, and it is this huge thing that we make a big deal out of. That is why everything needs to be replicated, and... Anything that hasn't been replicated, I always take with a huge grain of salt and always ask, has it been replicated? That's a really important point. I'm, I'm glad that they brought up that this hasn't been replicated. And I didn't actually read the primary research on this. I had heard it repeated by lots of smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they all took it uh, and ran with it, I assumed that there was something to this. Right. I That's- think smart, smart people like, I think, Will McCaskill and Peter Singer. Yeah. And uh, I, I can't guarantee that it was either of those, but definitely you know, in the philosophy literature about uh, effective altruism. And There's been at least a couple studies that Eliezer cites in the sequences, somewhat, somewhat strongly in one case, which did not replicate in you know more recently. Did the so, comments point that out? No, because I don't think that was a thing at the time in 2007. People weren't really ah. yeah, people weren't really thinking about that. Uh, it's it's been more, more something that's come up more recently, and so yeah, I also have been very often uh, in the past repeating things which it turned out later did not replicate, and that is why nowadays I kind of have this aversion. Always ask, did it replicate? Well, shit, I've, because I feel really bad about the things that I spread in the past. I think scope neglect is rep- rep- replicated among enough things because now I'm thinking of the one that I brought up tonight about that girl and the the brother and family. That's the one specific one I can think of, but there's also the one with, you mentioned the seagulls, but this was that one in Canada where it was some other oil spills. Some decades ago or something. Mm-hmm. Scope um, neglect has been replicated quite a few times. Fair enough. But any individual study I'll be more careful about. And that is uh, a good lesson for me to be more guarded about what I take for granted from hearing smart people say. I'll be more careful. Yeah. That's kind of a bummer. Because yeah. now it's going to put all this extra research on me. Right. I'd like to be able to, be able to shoulder, shoulder all off onto them. But, oh well. Hopefully that won't be as much of an issue going on since people do consider that now and everyone is aware about it. But... Still good to be careful. Well, and I mean, like a lot of these things too, especially with social science, like, oh, 40 college kids from Yale had this happens. Therefore, it's true of all humans on earth. That's sort of, I think, been a recognized failure since, but I mean, it just happens to be that, you know, a lot of psychologists work at schools, populations that have to take, have to participate, go to the school and you don't have to pay them. So they're really easy targets for, for study. Uh, so like, it makes sense that a lot of stuff is done to them, but to den- then generalize it is to, I think, to be careful. But I just hear somebody talking fairly seriously about a study that involved either 10 or two, uh, either 10 people or two groups of 10. And they were talking about it like it was this discovery. And I need, I need to find this. I don't know if I could dig it back up, but it was just in the last couple of days. And I was wondering the entire time, like this was 20 people. Yeah. Your sample size is too small. Way. And why this was somebody smart. I'd me insane. I can't think of where to place this, but this did happen. So yeah, 
be wary of sample sizes and fail, failure to reproduce. So where do you draw the line between being gullible and repeating everything you hear and being so skeptical you have to fact check every single thing that you hear? My my typical, I mean, so like it depends. Like I, I realized when you mentioned like being gullible on the internet and stuff, I never really had a problem with that. I think maybe I was introduced to skepticism shortly after the advent of internet in my house. So I, I lucked out there that in my early teens, I was already kind of calling bullshit on everything, which is a great way to kind of sometimes be right some, more often. I guess it's a way to not be gullible, but it's also a way to like be a conspiracy theorist. So Be contrarian? Yeah. but Well, if you say something I- so contrarian that uh, you get a response from a bunch of people who give arguments that you yourself find believable, then you've done something to fact check yourself. Right. I guess it's not like so much of a line as it is a process. You know, one of it would be investigate when I can, be confident in the expertise of the person I'm listening to. If they're not an expert on it, or if, they're, if they have a reputation for being outside their, their consensus of their field, you know, take them with, with, with skepticism, make predictions, ask people, put it on public forums, or uh, even if it's just Facebook and say, anyone hear about this or whatever? So, I mean, there's, there's ways to do it. It's not so much just about what my filter process is. It's also about like my process after the fact. But like as far as things that get buried, like I don't remember where I first heard about that study with the girl and their brother and the family, right? So if that's not true, I've heard it either so many times or from the first place that I've never bothered to look it up again. Any more feedback? Uh, I have two on the punch Nazis. All right, real quick. Okay. Uh, the Mike, and it is the Mike, says, There is a false equivalence between the German Nazis of the 40s and the Nazis we have around today. Absolutely. Using the, oh, action, yeah. using the actions of our grandparents in this case as a moral center is inappropriate and hypocritical. The German Nazis were a group of people who were in control of a country, had an army, and more importantly, were committing acts of violence against many people, whereas today's Nazis are a group of morons who yearn for the old days. Despite the neo-Nazis being violent, they do not have an army, nor hold office, nor influence law. So I thought we kind of acknowledged that they weren't exactly equivalent. We, we just kind of referenced them in a very limited fashion. Didn't and you pointed out there's like 200 of them. Yeah, or they, they're sharing ideology. That, like, like, like Richard Spencer has the power to what he like. He can rent out a, a hotel conference room like a couple times a year. Like, I didn't know this when we recorded the episode. I have found out more recently that he runs his think tank, the uh, National Policy Institute. That everyone keeps mentioning that oh my god, he's running this think tank that tries to affect policy. He runs that out of his apartment. So I mean, the, these numbers might be a little bigger than than the two hundred. They can fill a, a room of two hundred. But someone wrote in a really good comment, and we talked about uh, in the last episode that hasn't aired yet. These numbers might be considerably higher, but as far as people who are ready to travel, What's considerably, uh, somewhere maybe north of the tens or possibly hundreds of thousands. Unlikely to be hundreds, I don't think, but poss- probably tens of thousands. And I mean, I think the number of these, like, it depends on idiots. I, I just picture some fifteen-year-old with an unshaven child mustache sharing frog memes. Right? That's hey, gonna that's don't gonna... bring frog memes into this. <laughs> they did Pepe. nothing wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> So co-opted. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that that probably counts for some of these people. But and then there's also like they don't hold office, they don't, uh, they don't have an army. There's the concern some of these people that people call Nazi-esque are definitely in high office currently in the United States, and so that that is why there's some people that are being you know raising alarms about this. I so still feel it's really weird to call Richard Spencer a Nazi. I, he's not part of the Nazi party, and as he says, a lot of neo Nazis hate him, and I kind of think that's legit. He's a white nationalist. He's definitely a white nationalist, yes. Right. And, and yeah, like people are just kind of... Nazis shorthand for that. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, I mean, and, it and, it's, and it's, yeah, you may, it may there's be... more to Nazism than just being a white nationalist. Well, I think... I mean, pe- white nationalism is definitely a important part of it, but I think Nazism goes beyond just that. Well, and people... I would agree. I'm just saying people 
definitely that shorthand. Definitely from historical context, absolutely it would. And people, I think, love using that word because anyone that they can brand a Nazi is therefore subhuman and not defensible. It's a way of othering. Absolutely. It's a way of, like, not, I mean, yeah, othering to a level, you know, I think we talked about this, was it on that episode? Where, like, they're, they're, they're subhuman once they're Nazis. Yep. They're, not, they're not just... We did. They're not other groups, they're they're non-people, right? So then it's, no matter what happens to them, it's okay. So it's very politically advantageous to you to label your enemies Nazis because then if you can get people to agree, then they agree that your enemies don't matter. But that's uh, that doesn't make it accurate, right? Albionic American says... People keep missing the alt-right's real message, and by now I think this has to happen because of perverse blindness. Oh, uh, I remember this comment. Yeah. Hmm. And the alt-right's racism doesn't really upset people, but rather it's rediscovery of our ancestors' tragic view of man. Social progress can't happen because man has an obdurate nature. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that word. Obdurate. Okay. What is, what, what is the meaning of the word obdurate? Is it you are stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or course of action. So stubborn. Okay. Okay. So stubborn. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because man has an obdurate nature that you can't reshape like clay into the arbitrary configurations demanded by the political correctness of the current year. In all in caps, we have inequity, hierarchy, and patriarchy because of this reality. We have to construct the best lives we can under these constraints. Ooh. Not long ago, our ancestors would have called this realistic view of human condition something like wisdom. Compared with our elite's childish utopianism, which denies this reality, the alt-right people sound more like the mature adults in the country these days. Yeah, so so um, my dad actually told me about this book called A Conflict of Visions, written by Thomas Sowell. I'm probably saying his name wrong. I think it's like Soul or Sowell, but it's, it's S-O-W-E-L-L. And in the book, he posits that there are these philosophical differences between it. it, it they're, they're called visions, but basically, one of them, one of the visions, is called the constrained vision, in which the idea is that man is not perfectible morally. It's like human, or, or you know, mankind, humankind, um, tend to be selfish and self-centered, and just smart enough to think that they can rise above their station, but they, they ultimately can't. Thus, we must rely on things like traditional like religion and, and, and stuff like laws and like to, to kind of keep people in check because yeah. otherwise they'll run rampant and kind of do bad things. And then the other side is this unconstrained vision, which is basically like man is morally perfectible. I'm, I'm abbreviating massively here. And, and like you, we can become enlightened. We can overcome our nature. We can over, overcome our impulses and use our rational big brains to like improve our lives. And that eventually we're, we're going to delegate those kinds of these high level decisions to experts who can kind of kick down what's best for everyone. Isn't that literally the enlightenment? Yeah, it's well, it's yeah, it's it's it, like like people like like I would even I, I would almost say that like like the rationality community I, w- I would assume is largely unconstrained, very much like yes, man, you know, mankind can improve itself, it can elevate itself, but the constrained vision is very much like in despair of humanity in terms of um, their ability to be altruistic and good. They kind of think that people are inherently not great. Yeah. People are people. That's literally what he just said. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and and it just reminded me so much of that. Because people are shitty. Yeah, it, it reminded me so much of that. Yeah. Like, and, and I haven't read the book. I've watched summaries on it, but that's kind of what came to mind. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think that is a fascinating difference of opinion. Like, I didn't even know that this was something people thought. Yeah. Until just recently. Like, when he says because of perverse blindness, I, I dispute that because I don't think I am being, you know, perversely blinding myself. I simply had no idea that there were people who thought that 
that people are so shitty that we can't make progress. It's and and it's maybe it's not even like oh people are so shitty they're awful they're garbage it's more like there are limits right there are right. limitations to how much we can I don't know it's 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 a perspective I don't I don't think I entirely agree with it it's just it's like like I I definitely would consider myself more unconstrained right. in this case but those could like in and of itself could be a kind of a false dichotomy of visions it's supposed to be kind of a spectrum but you're supposed to fall on one or the other the the worldview that he laid out and it's you, you give out a, a charitable version where there's like this spectrum but the the one that the write-in gave like that seems to me to be factually incorrect if this is the result of perverse blindness it's not perverse it's just incidental blindness but i really don't think it is we there has been progress over the last centuries that either you're saying either you're saying isn't there is uh, bad because it goes against the state of nature or just because it's it's unsustainable because it goes against the state of nature but it's not i think written into the stars or written into our genomes that we one race would would dominate another it happened to be an accident of history that some had technology faster than others and were able to subjugate and other factors obviously but was that your interpretation of that as well? That it seems to deny the fact that progress has happened? Yeah, well, I basically agree with you that I do think progress has happened. That we don't, for the most part, we don't uh, torture people anymore. We don't have slavery. We don't burn kittens for entertainment. But I guess it also kind of depends on your point of view. Like, there's a number of people who would say that uh, we have regressed and things were better before the Enlightenment. I've literally read uh, arguments where people saying the reason people call it the Enlightenment is because they are perverse and they're trying to hold on to their own power and they're profiting off this world even though this world is worse. So they're trying to paint it as this wonderful thing where like, oh, the Enlightenment saved us when in reality the Enlightenment has brought mankind down into hedonism and purposeless existence and has just made life worse in general for everyone on the planet. That sounds like a different demographic of people than the one that that person is describing. I mean, as so that, that is not the alt right position. No, that, that, is that not hedonism. The position, yeah, right. so if that's the case, fine. Those people are welcome to unplug and go scratch in the dirt like our ancestors, right? <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. Jeez. Well, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, w- I hope you won't. I want everyone to be happy. But like, if that's really your position, cool. Try it for a week. I think go outside to... with, without without clothes or bring you know or or wear whatever you can catch. Right? Like, that's right. that's some I, I bullshit. Think they want to keep the uh, the technological progress, uh, but it's the social quote unquote progress that they disagree with and say has been social regress rather than progress like, like, like they want to go to more like tribal society kind of progress like what like what model do they think is i don't i don't good. think that if i had to guess i would say that the alt-right community so far as it exists as a community is probably too diverse to say that this is what we're support right just like the the progressive community probably has different ideas of what progress means you know some of us when they talked about reshaping men to be better or something whatever the phrasing was in the write-in some of us wanted to do that literally with brain augmentation with computers mm-hmm. and others want to do it with drugs or with uh thoughtful contemplation or whatever right so um being intellectual yeah so like there are different avenues to go about yeah, making people know. better so the saying that all the all people who are progressive want to make people better isn't like a unified statement insofar as like there are a lot of people want to go about that differently i think what his intention is is that by trying to live in this ideal world where humans are perfect and not uh, respecting the fact that we are constrained by various biological impulses, we make things worse. That if we were to accept the fact that people are naturally a little bit racist and a little bit sexist, 
then uh, we could work within those limitations to forge a better system than one that ignores that and pretends that it's not an issue. Oh, I think we do do that, and that's that what makes we're doing. Sense like like the way you just presented like that are like that makes that makes sense. I I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm saying the way you presented it makes sense as far as what they're saying. Sorry, you, no, no, you're 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 welcome to bask in the in the light of a steel man argument. <laughs> um, so, but that's not the world we live in, right? We live in a world where people are aware of our implicit bias. And we make efforts to to correct for them. We talked a long time ago about getting more female mu- musicians by just not looking at who's playing the music. Mm-hmm. So like people are aware, hey, you know what? There's no reason for us to, to select against women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's so because for some reason we keep doing it. Let's just make it so we can't, and yeah. then we'll just pick the best players. Where we are acknowledging this failure and correcting for it, not not just yeah. acknowledging it and running with it. I, and it feels like a cop out to just be like, this is how humans are, so we should just deal with it. We should just allow that to be the case and not challenge the status quo, which right. it kind of feels like that's but what yes, that's saying. I, know. I think uh, the counter argument would be with that the progressive social left believes that all humans are intrinsically equal, more or less, and they see that the population is, let's say, two-thirds white, one-third minority, and so they say, well, since that is the composition of the population, there's no reason that that shouldn't be the composition at every workforce, and so they pass laws that say... If you have a college, two-thirds of your students are allowed to be white, one-third have to be minority. If you are a large employer, two-thirds of your employees can be white, one-third have to be a minority. And I think he's saying that that ends up having more bad effects than it fixes because uh, by ignoring the other factors, the fact that people are somewhat racist and tribal and simply forcing everyone to have exactly the distribution that we see in in the population without taking into account things like racism or tribalism or just the fact that maybe people are less able to speak the language and that makes a difference in in certain professions that uh it's making the situation worse rather than better to ignore that so you made another really good steel man but i i think you're being and so we're talking about a completely different argument now i'm going to just put that out there that you've still made it to the point where it's in, unrecognizable okay. as this as this original position that was much more coherent than the, the one that was given if they had said for example i feel like there are some failures with our current implementations of affirmative action that would have been a much more defensible not necessarily a position i'd agree with but a much more solid defensible position mm-hmm. but they flat out said progress is like impossible or yeah, so, yeah, something right, so, right like if they have a criticism of affirmative action then it's like okay well that's where let's improve it right not oh well then throw the whole thing out because it's garbage so are they saying that humans without rules whether it's religion or law cannot progress and get better oh i don't was was that the argument i i don't think that's what it is i think it's i i took it i i don't want to be uncharitable but i took it more or less as trolling i didn't even really think that there was a whole lot of content to that statement that was again if i'm being what was the person name who wrote in albionic american it, i if you if you want to write in and clarify i i'm receptive I, i'm not trying to be a dick but whatever point you're trying to make did not shine through in what you wrote uh at least not to me and maybe maybe it is blindness but it's certainly not me being intentional or what was the word they used perverse it's just me not being able to see where you're coming from but if you want to come out about it a different way we can have a real conversation but i took it as more or less trolling i couldn't the thing that struck me that that made me interested in the comment is when he said you can't force people into the arbitrary configurations demanded by the political correctness of the year which uh, sometimes you feel that a little bit right you can't force them immediately so there's a difference between we can't force people into these configurations based on what you think you should be doing and just 
self-examination, right? Like being like, hey, maybe this thing we're doing is kind of a problem. Maybe this thing we're doing isn't great. We should try to improve upon it. And those things happen gradually. It's not like we, we need to force humans to go completely against their natures and it's this strenuous thing and it's going to cause all kinds of agony. I don't I don't know that I, I, I like that. I don't necessarily even think that that's the argument. There's kind of an area. It feels like it's, it kind of sits in that kind of idea space, I guess. But that sounds like a legitimate somewhat of a legitimate philosophical view of the world to take. Um, but I, but I, I did think the way that you presented it was pretty concise overall. I mean, I think it's one way of putting it. Or at least like, engageable. Yeah. It's kind of a pessimistic view of humanity. Like, people are going to be kind of stuck in their ways, and, and it, like, like people are in tra- or they're intransigent. They're just not, they're not that malleable, so you might as well just shape society to that tendency rather than to make change society to fit these high concepts i i I don't agree with that but i I, but i understand kind of what they're trying to say i think optimism and pessimism make a big difference in like someone's day-to-day life i i much prefer being optimistic than pessimistic but i think if we're trying to look at something from a rationalist perspective where we actually look at society you shouldn't one shouldn't ask is this pessimistic or optimistic one should say is this real is it reflected by Mm. the data and the world and if the pessimistic view is sure. the more accurate one, then you should go with the pessimistic one. Sure, sure. Well, it looks like we are kind of tired. Do we want to wrap it up for the night? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Cheers, everyone. Later. Later.